fight and we don't have to kill everybody in the wide world really just needs to chill no we don't have to fuss no 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 we don't have to fight hello everybody welcome back to another episode of just chill with oliver george this is episode 66 and it is also the season premiere for season three my guest is someone I've been trying to get on here for a very long time, a very funny comic, and I just finished reading his amazing book, which we will obviously get to. But before we get into it, I want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube right now and you would prefer an audio-only version, you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other places like that. If you're listening on one of those, though, and you didn't realize there was a visual side to this show, please come check it out on YouTube. While you're there, if you would subscribe, it really does mean a lot to me. We recently hit 1,000 subscribers, and it really warms my heart. So if you've supported the show in any way, thank you so much. If you want to reach out to me, maybe with a cool guest idea or some general feedback, you can hit me up at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. While you're there, let me know if you're interested in one of these uh, show logo stickers, and I'll mail you one for free. Now, back to the man of the hour. As I was mentioning, a very funny comedian. You've performed at Just for Laughs on more than one occasion, Massey Hall. You've had an article featured in Vice. You got a successful podcast, and now this book. I'm so happy to have you here, Alex Wood. Thanks, man, for coming on. Thanks for having me. I am absolutely astounded by how professional this whole thing is. Thank you, man. It is something else. I can't. This is. Look at this. Look at this prep work. This is unbelievable. I oh, never. This is your single, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, I don't even. This is <laughs> the one pointing directly at me, and I'm like, "Where's my camera? <laughs> Look at this. This is crazy. You're, you're very impressive. Not, not everybody intro gets the too. I was like, yeah. Oh my well, god, man. Uh, there's a lot. It's even really nice. Oh really? Thank you. I always write in caps. I don't know. I read a lot of comic books, so kind of just where my mind goes when I start writing. Um. Dude, well, thank you, because you're a professional, and, you know, watching your comedy and reading your book, I'm really enamored with this book right now. I just just wrapped it uh, a couple days ago, and I was already in deep, but the ending threw me for some loops, too, so I do really want to get into that, but first off, just how are you, man? Like, you're in Ottawa, back, back where your roots are from? Yeah, man, it's nice, like, just doing, uh, you know... Absolute this week I'm headlining and it's like the club that I really for the first time ever felt like it's like oh shit I don't suck at this like I'm not <laughs> god awful at this because it was like probably the 10th set I ever did was there and I went into it like okay I've heard that this place is great I'm quitting tonight if I don't do really well. High stakes. And then the first two people that night, still I've never seen anybody have this bad of a set on a Wednesday. Two people like just tanked and so did the host. And I was like, this is just like every other spot I'm going to bomb. And then, yeah, had so much fun and was like, okay, all right. And then I've been chasing that dragon ever since. Instantly hooked. Wow. And well, that's interesting. You brought up that you're at Absolute because you recently parted ways with Yuck Yucks, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean. Uh, Much like Kyle Brownrigg also did the same thing recently, friend of the show. Yeah, well, I, I left in August. I was with Yuck Yucks for like 10 years. I still uh, have like fond memories of all this shit. I mean, Massey Hall, a lot of the stuff you just mentioned was was through them. And I mean, I have always just been like this. Uh, like <laughs> Canada is so shitty for comedy. Like I don't have ill will towards Oh, no, personally, some comedians, yes, very much so. <laughs> I don't want to pretend that that's not true. But... 
like for like entities or properties, I want them all to do well. I yeah. have no like team allegiance, anything. I'm so glad that no, I want. You're just a I fan want, of comedy. Yeah, I want Yuck to have like 60 locations. I want Absolute to have 60 locations. Amen. Like, yeah. The rumors, everything, like places I've never played. I get so sad when comedy clubs close in Canada because I was like, fuck, we don't have a lot. Yeah. Well, you never thought about making the move to the States because of those reasons or? I have a lot. Um, I'm even, I guess, kind of kicking tires on it again right now. It's just so difficult. I don't understand where the money comes from. I order Uber Eats too much. <laughs> I'm a fraud. <laughs> this book of self-restraint is all bullshit. I, <laughs> I should have enough money to go there too, but I'm like, wow, I just really have spent that much on takeout over the last, like. Savings hard, man. It's, it's, it's so incremental. You really got to, you know, be disciplined with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should uh, get an app or something for where it's like... They got them for everything else, yeah. Exactly. I'm sure there's one out there like, hey, help, before help you, you like order donuts from McDonald's, who the fuck does that? <laughs> they suck too. They're not even that good. Well, I like them and I don't know why. Because they're small, so I'm like... You feel well, less yeah, guilty. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. You understand. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I'll save once I stop eating McDonald's donuts. I would go to America. A lot of my friends have done well there and they have fun there. And it, like I've always wanted to live in New York City, so I felt like... I feel like I could move there. Um, that's the nice thing about, uh, you know, some of the uh, bad shit you were talking about from the book. Trauma has this way of, like, really lowering your life expectations, <laughs> too. So I've always, I was like, if I could just live in New York. Everyone else is like, oh, if I could go to New York and, and take over the scene there. Some of them are like, if I could not die. And for five years yeah. in New York and live there, not even making any money. Just don't, if I could be there for five years, that would be like the achievement of my life. Like but you could tell you were passionate about the city. When I read the parts about it in the book, like you were so stoked to be there when you finally got to go. I mean, I don't know how you're not. There's like so few things in life that live up to the hype. I said, it's like, for me, it's like the Sopranos pizza, the Simpsons and New York city. Ninja turtles. Like actually kind of <laughs> Vegas too. Uh, Vegas is also, oh yeah, shit, that's in there too. But uh, yeah, there's yeah. there's fun. There's, but Vegas isn't as much of like a comedy mecca as uh, No, New but I was be. surprised how, now granted I would, I have no interest in ever going back unless it was for a fight to watch now. But mm -hmm. um, at the time when I was still like using and drinking, I was like, oh, this place is as great as everybody says it is. I'm sure everyone's having their own like movie in like their little like oh it was such a crazy night we did this we did this we did this and you think was, you could have fun sober or anyone could have fun sober in vegas though or is i it think other people there's so much to do there but for me it was so like i mean i literally thought about not going home i was like i don't why am i wasting my life trying to get to a place where i'm like can have uh like 20 to 40 drinks a day and nothing else. And I was like, oh, shit. I didn't realize you could just do that here. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess you could play gambling games at like four uh, in the morning. You just buy a, like one case of water and sell each bottle for $2. Oh, You're good. You can shit. live off $48 a day. And I could have at the time, I should say, I'd say you like the royal you. Yeah, yeah. I could have lived off $48 a day in Vegas for years, years. Well, unless something killed you if you overindulged or something like that. Actually, that's a really good point. You know I mean, I could see a lot of people ODing in Vegas. It seems like a hot spot for that. So when I, I don't know what it would be like now, but when I was there, this is before fentanyl. Uh, I was trying to 
grab cocaine off this guy. He's like, I only have weed. By the way, don't get cocaine off of anybody here. And I was like, why? And he's like, street cocaine in Vegas is like half. It's like this. uh, He said it's this air conditioning powder from uh, overseas. So it's this white powder that is like used for air conditioners. I don't know what they do in air conditioners, but, and it's like, it it like has a lot of the similar properties of Coke and like, you'll get that numbness if you put it on your gums. Uh, just like that. Oh, and obviously not. I mean, I I read a stat that like 80% of street Coke in North America has, uh, at least trace amounts of battery acid. Good Lord. And apparently that like is very important in like one of the production methods anyway. So I, I've told that to people who were like on the, you know, uh, mm. supply side and they were like oh yeah that's that makes sense i was like what oh my God. that's so, brutal dude so anyways yeah vegas coke is like mostly that air conditioning fluid and then i eventually got cocaine later that night and i was like oh shit he wasn't lying but it's still <laughs> i still like it it's not too bad it's not that bad i've heard they uh cut lots of things with um i mean i dabbled in some things when i was younger for sure and and one thing was cut with uh fructose or some some sort of white powder that you're like hmm it's kind of orangey when you got the drips or whatever you know it was like that was a nice little do the listeners know who's behind the uh tech side of this uh my dad's never been on camera i don't think but they but... do know it's your dad yeah yeah that's awesome he has that a mic now like, yeah you were just like i used to you know <laughs> I, I won't say exactly how much heroin i shot into my dick but well he probably wasn't privy to all of the specifications i'm sure there have been some things i've said on the podcast where you've been like oh shit i wasn't aware of that but they knew in high school i gave them a run for their money for sure with you know coming home drunk all the time and smelling like weed all the time they definitely knew that stuff was up uh but i had very brief interactions with harder drugs i mean i did lots of shrooms and stuff but if we're talking cocaine and stuff like that i maybe a couple months when i was 18 and then one really bad experience and i was like all right fuck this, this is not for me because i'm gonna get hooked i was like i know i'm gonna get sucked into this it was just i have an addictive personality to some degree too so mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know the drug Still, is- I, I keep learning new things <laughs> <laughs> yeah what a great voice and what a Perfect choice of words that was. <laughs> yeah. It's true though. Like you'll find out. Like oh, you remember that Thanksgiving? Yeah, I was on acid or something. You know? That's good shit. Yeah. Well, I don't think I told you that actually. But that was more something that a friend brought up to me, and it was kind of like a weird flashback kind of thing that I knew I had done acid when I was in grade nine or something. I knew the friend I had done it with, but I had completely like removed it from my meta- memory database for whatever reason that it was thanksgiving too yeah he told me like oh no we were at this baseball diamond and then it sort of just started flooding back to me and he's like you had this dinner to go to i think it was thanksgiving and then the more details he kind of filled in the more that everything kind of flooded back as much as i could remember but this is i mean i must have dad been this is the coolest and- shit ever that's so funny <laughs> acid on for, for it was like probably a half tab or some shit Who i was cares? a little that's scared dope. amateur you know anyway. i've never done acid no way I tried many times and I got ripped off with like face, fake pieces of paper and shit like that. You know, people would put like, it was like one guy gave me a decal for a Warhammer guy. <laughs> I was oh, like, this looks, this looks like acid. This is a Bazooka Joe comic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to swallow this whole thing. Oh, man. That's so funny. No, acid was the one that always scared me. Like, I was just like, I don't want to have a bad trip that sounds quite uncomfortable where well, if you I, watch fear and loathing or something right yeah, like, and i yeah. was always big on stimulants and um even opioids i liked better than i mean it would go stimulant stimulants for me and then downers and then psychedelics yeah wow. psychedelics hallucinatories 
if that's even a word. Well, with acid, you see, at least in movies and stuff, it's like the one drug they really portray as you're going to see stuff that is absolutely not there. Like Donald Duck's going to walk up to you or some shit like that. Whereas shrooms, it's like, oh, the room is breathing with me. I can wrap my head around that, you know, but it's not as bad as, as they describe acid, generally speaking. Mike McDonald had like one of the best jokes about acid. It was like, I don't understand why people don't think it's their favorite drug. Let's look at other drugs. Cost $300, (laughs) lasts a couple hours. Or even less. Cost $7, you're high for a day. Yeah. And then you can get high 20 years later out of nowhere. That's return. (laughs) That's maybe not great depending on the situation. But Mm -hmm. when you get a flashback, you know, at somebody's wedding or something, maybe that's not so opportune. But yeah, uh, hallucinations in general are very uncomfortable, <laughs> whether well, auditory or visual. If it's something scary, for sure. Visuals, I never had anything scary. A lot of like, it was more like uh, lights. Mm. Um, Fractals. When they would flashback and shit, that was weird. I'd be like at a call center, like totally feeling fine. And then like, oh, Jesus Christ, like just flashing <laughs> wild ass lights damn yeah like strobing kind of yeah uh and then like trails from things like out of nowhere oh, okay. like tracers oh, or whatever they yeah, call them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah like i really gotta chill out on some shit when you were talking about um the nasty stuff they might be cutting coke with it made me think of a drug that we did in high school have you ever done poppers oh yeah you know the fucking it's like a vial you just smell it and it smells like oh chemical. no i thought i would poppers was always you cut a little bit of the cigarette for us was cut a little bit of the cigarette off put it in a bong and then it makes it, you got to like it, the weed's very difficult to pull through. Oh, And it gets tighter and tighter and tighter until it actually pops through. And then you, you get a cherry huge through. fucking hit. Huh. And you have to smoke cigarettes to be able to handle it because you also light that cigarette. And that's what eventually, but it's yeah. just a way of making you light the entire, it's actually exposes how, like if you're, if you're smoking weed out of a bong, do you pull through? Uh, it depends how, how big the initial yeah, I was always is. a pull-through yeah. guy because I liked it. I felt it was more impactful, but yeah. you waste so much weed that way. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, you waste so much weed that way. You and I getting... still was like, I don't care. I'll just fucking buy more. It's so you... worth it for that huge pop. Like filter the screen. I, I never thought like I got a good enough rip. Yes. So poppers yes. give you that huge rip still, but you light all the weed because the cigarette's blocking it until all the lead, or the weed has been lit enough that it can pass through, and then you have to light the cigarette part at the very end. I'm amazed. I've never heard of that. Oh, you got to rip it for like... I know, gravity like bongs. a minute bong. and shit. Yeah. Oh, poppers are big. Sorry, but what are smell poppers? Yeah, so um, I'm surprised you never heard of them, but I guess they're not that popular. It was, uh, I guess, early 2000s, and my friends, the only place they could buy them was at the gay pride store because gay guys were known to use them as muscle relaxants because it makes you feel kind of... Uh, to facilitate, you know, all <laughs> bedroom in. business. It, it, isn't it amyl nitrate? Thank you. I was going to say butyl nitrate for something. I think it's amyl nitrate. Or so yeah, it smells like very chemically. You smell this and you're like, oh, this is like to clean VCRs or something. Like it's very not something you should probably be inhaling. And it would always have, um, you know, like those old Batman punchy type symbols. It would always say bang. And they were like different flavor, not flavors, but different strains, you would almost call them. And you would get, if you had too much bang, you would get immune to it and you'd have to switch to rush. And uh, there was all these different ones. I don't know, man. Uh, someone knows what I'm talking about. Wow. I never thought there could be a dumber like potency description than uh, salvia. Oh, salvia. Salvia it's 10x, similar. 20x, 30x. I remember, oh, okay. I see I the description. My friend, I was explaining <laughs> salvia to him. 
I was like, oh, man, it was so much fun. You got to do it. And then he's like, what the fuck, Salvia? She's like, what the hell is this? And I was like, look, uh, there's just do like 10X. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, <laughs> I remember it that. goes in different <laughs> strengths. So yeah. it's 10X, 20X, and 30X. And he just said, the fuck is an X? What does an X mean? What does it represent? And I was like, I don't know how fucked up it gets. You're an idiot. Just do it. I always thought it was X10, like times 10, times 20, as far as potency or whatever the drug levels were in it or something. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think they knew. Have I, you done something? I think X was, oh yeah, it's, it was so Fucking much fun. weird. I thought it was weird. I didn't enjoy it much. I loved it, to be honest with you. I loved it. Really? I only did it once. Um, and I found it, it was, made people go catatonic and I would see people drooling. And then like two minutes later, you're back to normal. And I was like, all right. Oh, I would see for me, I got the laughs. Like it was the hardest laugh attack of my life. I ripped it out of a bong, uh, which kids is the only way to smoke salvia. Yeah. And it's gotta be very hot. Yeah. And, um, yeah, my friends were sitting across from me on the couch. I was on like a chair. I got the magnet thing. Like everybody has happened. Right. Yeah. And my, and then after that went away, I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then, it felt so tangible. Like, you know, when you're on drugs, I was like, oh, like this feeling is in the air. I could grab it there. I felt judgment off. Of yeah. Me. And I went to tell them like, guys, it honestly feels right now like I'm on trial and you're the jury sitting across from me. Like, and you're, and I go to tell them this and halfway through just burst into laughter, like commit this man laughter, like that <laughs> kind. And they went for like 10 minutes straight and then just stopped. And then I felt like, a gross kind of hangover for like an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And then that dropped out of nowhere too. And I was like, this drug kicks ass. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. I found it gave me instant, almost instant feelings of distress when I did it. It was like, uh, everything kind of just like warped and I couldn't get words out right. And I've seen a lot of people in even worse shape from it. It's a weird drug. And it was in this sweet spot where it was legal. So people were trying to, you know, we could buy not, it at like skateboard shops. It yeah. Or, so or strange. Bon head shops, whatever. Yeah. It was a very weird drug. Is it illegal now, you think? Probably. Oh, I think it is. I think they got on that while I was still a young chap. Yeah, it's heavy duty. Well, because uh, that's why I probably didn't do it that much. I heard so many people starting to be like, oh, yeah, like, you didn't hear what happened to, like, a guy school over? And it was like, we were, all, we all saw it happen. Like, he was sobbing, crying for, like, 15 minutes. Sobbing, the horror crying. stories, yeah. And then when it went away, he was, like, so weird for, like, another couple hours. And sure. then that person was like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm really enjoying all the other drugs I'm doing. Maybe I don't like fuck. That's why, like, you know, psychedelics. I was always like, the other ones, you know, it's funny because obviously you, obviously with alcohol and I mean, all of them, but I was like, I don't know. Like, uh, those are the ones that make you lose control. Like, <laughs> like fucking yeah. driving without a driver's license to like, steal money from my mom to buy cocaine and i'm like oh those wouldn't, drugs make you really out of control i wouldn't want to make I'm, any bad decisions yeah I, <laughs> geez. my faculties are in order right now and i'm i'm making nothing but right life choices well that's that's why i uh liked versus salvia going back to that that's why i i preferred poppers when i was doing those things was because there was a very similar experience of getting really high for a very short period of time and then feeling pretty much sober pretty quickly after Except the buzz was just better. I just felt like it was pleasure instead of kind of this panicky feeling that I got from Salvia. So poppers. I mean, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, I, I heard the guy from Sum Forty One talking about them once in an interview, and I was like, okay, he knows. <laughs> that's a very Ajax thing. Or no, where the hell are they they're from? For, they for, no, they're are from, from Ajax. Ajax. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you're thinking a, of uh, Avril was from Napanee. There you go. Yeah, yeah. that's a very Ajax uh, uh, move right there. A drug that's like, oh, I'm gonna have bang tonight. Oh, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> 
Maybe we'll try the rush. Kaputz is uh, <laughs> is the one I like, or whatever the fuck. Yeah, man. It's kind of a, a country bumpkin drug, I would say. And uh, another one would be, uh, I had a buddy who was really into doing whippets. Nitrous? Yeah, so, I mean, I couldn't get behind that. Famous. I couldn't get it. I don't know. he Because he, he would act really weird after he took him, and his voice would go really deep when he took him, and it would be weird, and he'd talk really loud. He would lose his sense of his volume, and we'd be like, dude, like... Calm it down, man. And then you'd, you'd be fine in a couple minutes, but it wasn't fun for the rest of the people not doing nitrous. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Much like many drugs, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Whippets is one that I was always like, <laughs> again, hilarious uh, that I was like, those are beneath me. Well, it seems kind of ghetto. Whippets though. is very, who the fuck? What kind of trash farmer bullshit is this? Yeah. Or like, you know, a 12 year old at a party or something like that. But you know what? Like city kids are, are all about whippets. They love it. So well, it's easy to get. That's easy how access. you knew. That's how you know. Yeah. What are they doing in like the heart of downtown? Cool. Um, cool whip. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. I didn't. If I would have known, like, like, oh, you're talking about New York. If I would, if I would have seen one person doing whippets in New York City in a movie, I was like, oh, I don't know. I got to do whippets. <laughs> That's the New York thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, man. Oh, you brought up Mike McDonald, which is kind of a, a great segue because I wanted to get obviously into your book, but I can't just get into your book because there's so many things that led you to writing this book, like the podcast and the Vice article and stuff. But that all kind of came from comedy and Mike McDonald was a big part of comedy for you. And, and I wanted to know really where your roots were. I know you watched Just for Laughs growing up, but what made you want to like try it for yourself or did you always know you were going to do it, you know? Yeah, like, my answer is, like, nothing, like, super romantic or easy to trace. Like, I always knew. I was like, okay, professional funny person is what I want to be. And it honestly wasn't until I never thought it would be stand-up. I was always like, stand-up's the hardest one to do. You thought improv or sketch or something? It's the least collaborative. No, like, film, TV. Oh, okay. okay. And I'm a horrible actor, so it's (laughs) funny that I thought that that's where I'd be. I'd be like, I'm an actor-writer. And I was like, that way, you know, if... You have multiple chances at being funny yes, and I've the editor just helps decide. And there's this collaborative, like I can be funny, but I need help. And I need to be around other funny people yeah. and I'm conversationally or improv, that kind of stuff. But I was like, stand up. They fucking those, they write it. And then that's why at the time, and I still kind of feel this way. It's like, there's like 40 good comedians in the whole world, like really good comedians. The best of the best. And I was like, how I, you can't, how do you fucking, and I think it's changed since then. I think there's like probably like 44 now, but (laughs) I think you say 400 or something. There's so many people doing it. Right. But, um, yeah, I just never thought that that would be the avenue. And then I didn't get into film school. And I'm very defeatist. So I was like, well, I guess my fucking dreams are over. <laughs> I guess I'll never fucking make it in showbiz. And that was another thing that, like, instantly, like, which is ridiculous. Like, this is um, not inspiring in any way. It's like, if any, like, uh, that's, like, not the right attitude to have at all. I was like, I think it was, yeah, one film school I applied to, Mel Hoppenheim in Montreal, turned me down. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. Like uh, I will never. And then that probably contributed to like why I really got into drugs and alcohol that year when I was 18, a little bit, I was like, well, I mean, (laughs) so I'm 18. (laughs) Instead of like, well, why don't you like make a fucking, um, apply to as many as possible. Yeah. Or just go start making something yourself or whatever. Uh, Instead I was like, okay, I'll go to Carlton. And I didn't go very much. And then, uh, a friend of mine, Carrie Gates, Sorry, a friend of a friend. Her name's Carrie Gates. She was a total monster. She did uh, Homegrown, just her last Homegrown uh, 
three years into comedy, maybe a little more, maybe even a little less was just like, and my friend Mel, uh, is, uh, who's still a, a close friend of mine. She was like, Oh, you know, my friend actually does stand up now. She just mentioned it. And that was it. I was like, Oh shit. I thought these people are like grown in a lab, like yeah, yeah. winter souls inaccessible and stuff. to get in that. Yeah. Not inaccessible. More like, I just thought like they were like, like standups, right? I was like, well, there's 40 good ones. And then the ones underneath that are also like mind numbingly funny to be able to do it as. Yeah. And then to just hear like, no, this is just somebody who works at fucking wild wing <laughs> with your friend. And this is their Thursday. Just night, conceptualized like. it to me like, oh my God. So people do this, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And then I went to see a show. Uh, I went to yucks Wednesday amateur night because they make you see. And make you go to an amateur show New talent before showcase you, you or sign up, yeah. yeah. Which at the time you think is like, oh, so you know you're getting into. But now you realize like, oh, no, they need that fucking six bucks. for. <laughs> uh, so um, going to shows is definitely the best way to want to make. No, yourself- it is a good idea. And I was just joking. But Cause you'll see people who are just not that great. And you're like, well, I could. That's do exactly. That well, that's, and that's yeah. exactly the next part of the story. Then I went to that amateur night and I was like, I'm going to fucking take over. And then, <laughs> oh, no, it's hard. So what age would you have been when you finally dabbled? 18. 18. Oh, yeah, you said that. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, it's okay. Uh, yeah. Where does that intersect with your, your substance issues starting to get out of control around the same age? Or Oh, yeah. Like, I wish that I could say, like, I did cocaine before I... Oh, so many things. It's wild. I did cocaine before I had sex, before I did comedy. Before I mean, I was 17. Now, I'm born in December, so it's a little... Yeah, Same it was here. first year Same at Carlton, so it was like I still remember. Um, and it's funny because that's just the way drugs are. Like I can talk pretty freely about cocaine without getting like triggered to use, but when I talk about the first time, like it's fucking brutal. Oh, it's but, like there's a romance. There. It was incredible. Yeah. It really was. So, anyways, um, well, don't talk about it if it's going to be like brutal, you know. <laughs> well, whatever. I got it sometimes. What are you doing after this, by the way? Do you know anyone? Well, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I did it at my buddy's house, and um, it was November, so I was like, you know, technically seventeen, but okay. you know, so it was a month before my eighteenth birthday, and then um, it's a good time to do it. If you get arrested, you're like, hey, I'm not eighteen. Yet. I never even consider that. That's <laughs> genius. Now I feel like I just wrote a time cop movie in my head he goes back in time so he can always do cocaine starts at 13 or something instead yeah that's great oh man just killing science so wait the first time you did comedy you were high uh off weed uh i mean uh actually i think the first time i probably was like yeah i didn't like stone cold sober like i mean there's i mean residue left from like smoking weed earlier that day probably yeah but you weren't like but didn't even have a drink i was like uh, I was, I had to, like, I was like, I was so nervous that first time, like that yeah. whole day. It was like, I was crazy nervous. Like it was even that whole first year, um, was brutal for each show. And then I, I talked about that set at absolute. And then I started doing really well there. And then that gave me confidence. I started doing well at other rooms. So like by my 10th set, I felt like I started doing well. Um, but even that second year, Cause that was Ottawa at the time. First year doing comedy, I did ten sets. Like you could do ten yeah. sets in a month now if you start in Ottawa, and ten in a week if you start in Toronto. This would have been like two thousand five. Five. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, it was like, 
the next year still so nervous before every set, even though I was now doing well and had confidence, it was like a whole body experience that I was like, okay, I either have to learn to stop getting this nervous or quit. Cause now yeah. I'm, I'm still this nervous and I'm doing well. So it's like, wouldn't, does this ever go away? And then I think it, for, I don't know, maybe did it ever go? Cause I've had people on here who are established comedians who said they still feel like that every time they go up, you know, not that kind of like petrified nervous, but I almost, and I know a lot of people relate to this now. Like I feel nervous when I don't feel nervous now, like uh. tonight was a little bit of that, like Ben McKay, like really ripped it up. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. So they're, they're rippable tonight, which means like, I have to go do that now. Yeah. And then that got me that little like, oh. Well, and, it's so easy if you have any kind of anxiety or OCD like me to just start playing out those scenarios in your head of like, what if I just forget? Oh, shit. Did I just forget now? What's my jokes again? And then you just spiral out, you know? Oh, I never have a good set when I'm pouring over the first thing I'm going to say. Mm. And sometimes for the bigger sets like tapings or contests, whatever it is, you're like, You'll go in your head for a joke you've told a million times. Yeah. Like, okay, so I have a lazy eye, and I, I also played hockey. I'm like, why are you rehearsing this joke in your head right now when you know it front <laughs> to back, inside out? Totally, and then totally. I go on stage when I'm doing that for a joke I know rock solid, and I'll be like, yeah, so I have a goalie for a – I might not – my eyes are oh, shit. I'm a, I don't – I'm – and then it's like, what is this stammering around, bullshit, yeah. you know? I, I actually had a recent experience that was kind of like that where I uh, went and jammed with these guys last weekend – I'll actually bring that up later too because it ties into some other stuff. But they sort of accompanied me doing my musical songs, which I, I've always done them solo to, you know, drunk people at bars. I never really needed it. But I was always curious what it would sound like with a bass player and a hand drum. And, and it sounded really great. But I was, towards the end, there was a lot of times where I was doing the same thing. We're forgetting these lyrics that I know, I know so well, but it's like this new dynamic. I don't know these guys that well. And the social, you know, situation is just a little bit throwing me for a, for a loop, you know? It's like anything in life, right? It's that flow state you want to get in yes. where you're thinking but not thinking. Well, so when did um, your substance issues start to, or did they ever start to become a real problem in comedy for you? Oh, yeah. I mean... That story we talked about before. No, it's okay. Like, primarily, I would... I mean, I don't know, because it's this dangerous thing where you don't want to, like, hang all of your problems on the substance abuse issues for a variety of reasons. You don't want to do that. But yeah, no, for sure. It affected me the most. And like, there's a lot of people that didn't see me as professional and, and, and you only make a first impression once. Like that's very true in comedy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny because a lot of people, I guess, didn't know, but like, I mean, yeah, no, my substance abuse issues really fucked me up for sure in comedy and in like my life. I mean, I lived in my mom's basement till I was 25. There's still times I look back like, hmm, I left a lot of potential on the table. Mm. Like I got homegrown when I was 22. Like that's a pretty like significant industry push. I was like less than four years into comedy. Oh, I really you, so pissed away that done, opportunity. Yeah, I, but I mean, that's not a way to live, though. You know what I mean? Like, well, no, I know. I, I, I ruining the day. But I mean, I just, I'm honest too. It's like, yeah, I, 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 when people are like, I have no regrets. I'm like, fuck you. That's so healthy. If you're telling the truth, fuck you, and you're probably not. So fuck you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, for sure, like sometimes ruminated. But then again, like you uh, said, you're right because. But I do have to remind myself of that when I am like going through it because. Regrets are this weird fucking thing where, like, if you don't click back in, like, you'll keep fucking up by just being too, yeah, like, uh, fixated on how you previously fucked up. Yeah. You got to be able to, like, let it go. That's something I... But if you never reflect, then you don't get those opportunities for growth as well. So there's a balance there. Yeah, sure. yeah, 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 of course. 
But yeah, no, my substance abuse issues for sure limited me in comedy in a variety of ways. I mean, it must be, I was thinking though, when reading your book that it must be kind of, uh, hard to navigate when you are having, like, there's a story you tell when you're going to do just for laughs and you're like super fucking hungover. You didn't sleep barely at all. And you're thinking you're going to fucking do terrible and you end up slaying. So how does that play into your mental narrative when you're like, Oh, I should probably stop this. This is going to fuck me up. And then lo and behold, you do well on stage and you're like, Oh, maybe I can make this work. You know, it yes. must be seductive. Somebody asked me, it is, that's, that's a good word to say it. Like, Somebody asked me in Vancouver at like this writers, uh, it's Vancouver's Writers Fest, and I was doing uh, a reading in like live podcast with Charlie Demers, and they did a Q and A at the end, and this lady asked me, and it's like the best question I've been asked by like journalists or anybody, and she was just like an audience member at this thing. She was like, "What do you think about like people who say that like substance abuse fuels creativity? Like, do you think that's true? Do you think there's?" And it's like. I think it is true, but there's other things you can do to mimic the feelings or whatever you're getting from that. Yeah. So it's like a lot of people I know think that like, oh, but like I have to be like a fucked up mess to be able to be good at comedy. And I for sure feel that too. I, I don't know like any comedian that's not at their best when they're go, yeah. not going through some kind of turmoil. Yeah. But like you can also still do well when you're, uh, you know, on the straight and narrow as well. Yeah, and your brain is firing on all pistons and your memory is working a little better. Like, there are advantages to that as well. Yeah, exactly. And then also, too, you start to realize you're like, I know so many people that are really, really fucking good at this that maybe don't have that much industry recognition uh, that are like complete piss hounds. And people like, oh, I don't understand why this festival doesn't book this person. And I'm like, well, this person just got super drunk at Comedy Bar two weeks ago. And I heard, and, and they're yeah. still doing that kind of shit all the time. And they care about that. They mm. don't want you. It's a, we forget, like, this is supposed to be professional because we all probably started it to, like, not be professional. You know what I mean? Well, it's the one, I mean, granted, I'm not like a touring professional comedian, but I can only imagine it's the one job where you, you at times feel like you're not doing a, a job. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah, more no, comfortable. Like you get to swear, you get to fucking be yourself in a lot of ways that other people can't in their professions. Just, you know, there's definitely an appeal to that. And I can see how that's, you know, something that's really enthralling for a lot of people. Yeah, they give you free drinks at like all the shows and, and people and, come up and tell you how awesome you were after and sometimes chicks you give you their number. Yeah, like it's that 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 stuff like you start to think you can like normalize so many things that aren't normal. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's part of the job. It's like no, it's not. <laughs> like I know the East Coast run used to be like the comedians would all complain about it. Like, they're like, oh, I can't fucking make money on the East Coast run. And then I was like, I mean, we get like more than we get in Toronto when we're at home and they cover our flights and hotel. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Why can't you make money out there? Yeah. Well, like I get fucking bombed every night and I eat takeout every night, even though like they put us up in condos where we could cook our food. And it's like. That's so, <laughs> yeah, it's a choice you're making. Yeah, this isn't a vacation where we're supposed. You're a fucking. You're on the road for work. Well, recently, uh, I mentioned to you that I this interview lined up really well because I was already planning on trying not to drink during November, and uh, I've been trying not to eat dairy and bread and stuff like that. It's mainly a dietary thing. I'm trying to just live a little healthier, but uh, I did notice 
as much as I don't think I, I wouldn't classify myself as someone who needs to go to AA, like a raging alcoholic. I don't drink in the morning. I don't drink and drive, but the frequency was what was really bothering me. And I, I kind of realized today, I think the biggest problem was finding a way that I don't have a problem. You know what I mean? Where you're like, you're drinking every day, almost every day, more than most people would drink in a week for sure, but it's never really fucking up my life. So it's able to continue because there's no like rock bottom moment. You know what I mean? And I think that's a really slippery slope in itself fooling yourself into thinking you can, you know, be the one person that's immune to the effects of these, these substances. Well, dad, do you want to tell him or should I, this is an ambush intervention. Actually, this isn't a <laughs> podcast. We're not, we haven't been recording a damn thing. That's the functional alcoholic. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, I don't go to work drunk. Like I, I'm pretty in check, but if it's end of the night and someone's like, Hey, you want to get drunk and play some board games or something? It's very, very hard to say no to that. So here's something that they really don't tell you about, like, AA and meetings and stuff like that. Um, a lot of the people, I don't want to say, like, a lot like it's a majority, but there's a lot of people that go there more than, like, an insignificant amount, let's say, that you know. And I know how this sounds, like, when I fucking hate when people do this with addiction and stuff, because I welcome these people, too. Whether it's, like, you, you, you drink, like, three nights a week. One of those nights, kind of, to excess. Okay, welcome in. We're, we're all trying to quit something. It doesn't matter. Do you know if what I mean? it's a problem like, for that person. Then, yeah, there's people yeah. I know that, like, got off heroin. Like, straight shooting heroin. Like, to them, like, I'm a fucking peon. Nothing like, oh, Poser okay, mister. Yeah. <laughs> had a cocaine problem? Are you fucking serious? Like, yeah. I shot heroin. They don't do that to me. Yeah. Um... And, and that's where it's like, if you've decided you have a problem, fuck everybody else. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, I, for, and then just for me, I've always said, I know that I like, I'm just a fucking brutal addict because all of these things like a sober October, or I know a wretched alcoholic who's actually now sober, but he's always been a wretched alcoholic. But he told me, he's like, yeah, I actually took a whole year off when I was like 32 and it stunned me. I was like, you did? And he goes, yeah, like, I just wanted to see if I could. And I was like, I, I, I wanted to quit every single Monday. Mm. Like, I was like, yeah, that. I've had that before. Every yeah. Monday, I was like, I got no drinks this week. None. Not even one. It's a clean slate. Maybe. And it was and be Monday night at the Ossington. It's like, all right. Even though it's been only seven days, I forgot that tall cans are $4 on Mondays. And I was like, so I can't afford not to drink. Yeah. And now I'm going to, but just Monday. And then I'll start. And then, oh, oh, Campbell asked me to do, uh, excuse me, propen. That's Tuesday. Well, I got to drink if I'm going to comedy bar and doing propen and hang yeah, out yeah. with the boys and everything like that. And then it's like, oh, yeah, Wednesday, right, is spirits. Like Me, it's always the summertime. It's always fucking barbecues and birthday mm. parties and pool parties. And, oh, hey, you want to drink, man? You want to drink? Everybody's always trying to, you know, get you liquored up in the nice weather, I find. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that made me feel like a through-and-through through addict is everybody would talk about the summer like is this. I'm like... You got to catch up. I've been drunk all winter. Like, <laughs> and I loved winter the most for drinking, actually, because I felt like I was like, yeah, the bars aren't cluttered. Mm. You can actually fucking catch a cab at the Keeps end of the you night. Warm. This is the people who actually fucking want to drink. I'm yeah, not yeah. here to do anything but drink and be drunk. Not so, the hot girl summer type people who are just, you know. Don't get me wrong. That, parts of it, that part of it's fun, too, but it always kind of annoyed me because I was like, I'm not. 
I'm not here for this. I'm well, it's like when someone's like, oh, I can just have a cigarette when I'm drinking. And you're like, fuck you. If you're someone who quit smoking like I am, I used to find those people so annoying because it's just, it's envious, of course, is what fuels it. But uh, yeah, I, I would feel the same way with with alcohol too. If someone's just, oh, yeah, I'll just have one drink. I'm like, well, usually when I have one, I definitely want to have at least two, you know? And you know they're enjoying that cigarette more than you are. You're like, you're <laughs> fucking, you're yeah, actually it's free of consequence, it. you know? No, I mean physically liking it more. I mean, that's anything in life. If you deprive yourself of it, you're going to be enjoying True. it more than, you know what I mean? Yeah, if you overindulge, then things become kind of exactly. benign. Yeah. And then you're you're going at the feelings, not the actual like act or, or taste or whatever it is. Well, speaking of all this and me trying to live the, the healthy life, um, from Monday to Friday last week, no bread, no dairy, no alcohol. So that was a real nice like refresher. Friday came along after working overnight at the hospital. I was low willpower. It was pizza night with the kids. I drank, had pizza. Like, oh, I had like, you know, four, five beers at the most. It wasn't insane for a Friday night, but I felt very disappointed in myself. Uh, and I felt like somehow you were disappointed in me because I'm reading your book and it was very, you know, helpful for keeping me strong during that week. And like, let's do the sober thing. And then somehow I felt like when I had that beer, like you were out there, like, and then uh, you you showed that picture of your busted ankle, and I'm like, now he's not going to be able to come on the podcast. It's fucking karma. That's so funny. It's crazy, man. That's how my brain works, too. <laughs> and I'm such a sadist. I'm like, fuck, I kind of wish I pulled off now, just so that would have happened in your brain. You're like, now I have to. I'm like, maybe I'd fucking save this guy's life. Maybe he'd be sober forever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I uh... well, Sorry, the long-winded point I was going to yeah. get to was that um, the next day, was when I felt a little shittier because that was the day I went to jam with these guys and I had felt bad about drinking the night before. And of course they had a case of beer. I'm, you know, it's a good social lubricant jamming with these guys, playing some music. It just, I cracked. And then I ended up buying more beers that night and that was it. That's ever since then, you know, I'm back on track Sunday to what are we today? Tuesday. So not that impressive, but you know, one day at a time still, I'm feeling healthier. So no, that's super impressive, man. Like Anytime somebody's like stacking them all at the same time, I'm like, dear God. Yeah, I, I tried I, not to overdo it. Those were the only three. I was like, all right. And it's been hard with the food. It's been harder than the beer almost. Yeah, because well, like no. no cheese, no bread. It's it's not that I only need to eat those things. And I have been enjoying like broadening my palate with eating more vegetables and all this other shit. But sometimes you just want a fucking grilled cheese or something. You know? And I'm just, I've been really, really strict about it. So, you know, now I'm thinking I'll probably end up drinking every Friday this month and just working for the weekend lover boy style you know but yeah that's a good idea you know it's reasonable middle ground i think i'm trying not to beat the shit out of myself and and luckily your book kind of came full circle in the end in that uh we'll get to it more but it was showing that you're still a work in progress you had relapses with certain things since and that kind of made me feel like okay we're all human like alex isn't gonna judge me for my my failed attempt here imagine if like the book ended with me being like so now you're reading a book by a guy who's four years off of all of these things, plus an additional few years of hard drugs and alcohol. Like people would be like, one, I don't believe you Two, Where are the bodies? You're <laughs> for sure eating people's faces at night. There's no way. You know what I mean? Like sugar alone. It's like, how can you quit that forever? Yeah. And honestly, and not to like, <laughs> dissuade anyone who wants to try it but and have a meaningful fulfilling life <laughs> with a zero added sugar forever i'm like that's for the fucking birds 
Dan- lot of the stuff that you you swore off were some of them were things I wasn't expecting, and a lot of them it was interesting to see the results. That's what I loved about this book and your podcast, I suppose, as well, which I'm looking forward to getting more into. Is it, it's kind of like a science experiment where you're using yourself as this guinea pig and reporting the results for all of your listeners or readers, you know, <laughs> to follow along with. So, well, to be honest with you, too, like it's it's. So this is the thing with being an addict. It's like such a paradox all the time where it's like you have to know when to be good to yourself and you don't have to know when to be hard on yourself. Mm. So like I have for an example that I'm like, well, you got to be good to yourself after you've relapsed, but also not so good to yourself. You're like, it's okay that I'm doing Coke again. Like, <laughs> no, so good that you don't beat yourself up into doing Coke, but also not just like, no, 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 we're doing great. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to keep doing Coke. Yeah. You have to walk that middle ground. Mm. And it's like that with, um, like moderation too. Uh, it's all like this, like the advice is so counterintuitive sometimes and you really got to like just figure it out for yourself. So, okay. This is one of the things about the book, which relates to your whole life, but I was a little weary going into this because I didn't know how much I wanted to talk about because I want people to go read your book. And some of it's kind of spoiler heavy in that sense that there are some pretty big things in here that I would like to leave for readers. So, uh, but I do want to give them a feel for the book as well. So let's talk about when did uh, substance abuse start to become such a problem that you you made that move? I'm going to try and get off this shit, you know, for real. After events like what we talked about before the podcast where you did, uh, Eric LeClaire told us on the show how he watched you once vomit into and fill up a, an entire pitcher with your vomit on stage only to then finish your set and apparently crush. So, yeah, that's in the book. And it also like it overflows over the past of the cup and then into oh. a, and eventually into a garbage can too. Um, the fact you could still get people to laugh with you after that and not just be revolted. And they were quiet the whole time. Like it wasn't like they were laughing while I was puking. They were like, it was stone cold silent in the room. And you know, that place it was like 200 sold out people oh, yeah, yeah. and watching me puke Shit on this done. tiny stage. And they're like, what kind of art show is this? Like, they were, <laughs> um, so when did you really decide I'm going to fucking reel it in? And then, yeah, it's so funny. Cause that story is I was 20. Two and uh, I'm like, uh, a mere seven years later is when I realized I had a problem. Yeah, I was like, I was 29 and I had pancreatitis twice in the same year. So, pancreatitis is like an inflammation of your pancreas that you get from primarily too much drinking, but they also think it's linked to like smoking and fatty kind of deep fried foods and shit. unhealthy like, lifestyle shit, so basically. yeah basically i'm like well that's all that's my entire life is those three things so you were not surprised when you found out the diagnosis no i still was because i was like doesn't this shit happen to people when they're older too yeah you were young that's true <laughs> and then so i got it the first time doctor was like yo this isn't nothing to fuck around with yeah. i was like no yeah doctors always say that about alcohol and shit right so i took a month off which is like the longest i'd ever gone i did antibiotics and I was like, oh, yeah, it feels better, like, almost right away. Like, I'm on track. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it pretty much very quickly came back after that month. I was like, I mean, I got a staph infection, and then that was like, they gave me opioids for it. And I was like, I mean, so I did what I always did when I got opioids. I would, like, save them. I wouldn't use them during the actual uh, thing and then wait till like, just smoke a shit ton of weed to get through any like pain or anything yeah. like that. And Save then them for pleasure. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, uh, and then use them to like drink and was like, Oh yeah, right. Getting fucked up is the best. So the rest of that summer was like, it was weird. It was like, as soon as that month was up from antibiotics it was like massive bender, like amongst the worst I've gone on, which is saying something. And then that lasted for like three or four months. And I was like, 
oh god the pancreas like hurts way more than before like way worse and then i went in the second time and the doctor was like okay buddy like it's you're so fucked right now you're so close to like I hope that's verbatim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My doctor was just a total bro, but I should have mentioned that. We're like lifting fuck, and dude. shit at the gym. He's like, oh, fuck, bro. You can't be doing this. So my doctor, Spicoli, was all like, yo, dude, you got to really clean this shit up because acute pancreatitis is like, you could die. Now yeah, I'm not even, no I'm not doing the thing I exaggerated. And it hurt so much. I was like, well, now I kind of believe you because this mm. thing hurts. Um, pancreatitis is brutal. Uh, you have stomach ulcers and shit too, right? Yeah, at the time. I, I didn't even know that too, but I kind of like always knew my stomach was shit. Mm. So I was like, oh, my stomach always hurts. So that's, but this Perfect one up course. high is like just so fucked. So then, um, yeah, the second time I got it, I was like, well, I'll probably quit for a year. Like that one guy actually said to do it. I thought I was like, well, if he could do it, I could quit for like a year and that'll like really reset my body. And then I even knew, too, I was like, I can't maintain the way I use and drink for the rest of my life. So I was like, so this would be my one-year break before, you know, early 30s, I'll, I'll switch to, like, Coors Light at barbecues. <laughs> it was always kind it's of that the, easy to just switch, yeah. Oh, yeah, he drinks Coors Light all the time. Hey, there Silver you go. bullet. There you go. So yeah. then I was like, I was ready. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to quit drinking in, like, a couple weeks. Uh, but it was like, he told me, like, I got that second diagnosis, like, December 16th or something. December 15th, 17th around there. I went to Ottawa to go home for Christmas. I got drunk with my friends December 19th, uh, 2015. And, uh, I mean, I guess technically the 20th because it went past midnight. But okay, <clears throat> I had my last drink at, like, 4 a.m. It was just, like, everyone else was asleep, which is usually, like, what my night ended at this guy's house. My friend who lives in Canada, and I was just, like, walking around drinking listening to music by myself like going room to room looking everyone passed out and then it was like five six in the morning went to i'm like oh, i'll have like a few hour nap before everyone else wakes up and then we'll get driven to breakfast and we'll go do breakfast and uh it was like so weird because like as soon as my head hit the pillow it was like i thought it burst Oh, like I was like, oh fuck! Like, like yeah, organ a, pain's got to be unique. Not really. a heart attack, but like a pancreas, whatever the fuck. I was like, yeah. oh shit! As soon as I felt it, I was like, oh, this is what the doctor was talking about, and I'm about to die. I was like, my pancreas just exploded or is lacerated or some shit. Yeah, yeah. And it hurts so much, so I couldn't even sleep, and I was like sweating too. And I was like, oh fuck, this isn't good at all. So I was like, obviously, even me, I was like, I can't. It was, I had a show at Yucks that night. It was Saturday and then Sunday. So it was like Saturday morning. Didn't sleep. Didn't sleep all the way till, and I was going hard that week anyways, because I was like going to quit for like a year. So that Saturday night, I still can't believe I got through that Saturday and Sunday shows. Like I've done shows like with some like fucked up shit going on, but those were the ones where I was like, wow. Yeah, why didn't you just go to the doctor if you felt like it had exploded? Well, because I wanted to finish the shows. Oh yeah. So I did Saturday and Sunday and did not sleep. Which is like a different kind when you're not sleeping because you like uh, like a weekend without sleeping was not a big deal to me then. But this was without alcohol and drugs. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. So Sunday night was like wicked bad. And it's hurting more and more my pancreas. And I'm getting like the shakes now and like really bad sweats. And what I didn't know at the time are called delirium tremors. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. And then I had an alcohol withdrawal seizure at my mom's house. And she had to take me to the emergency room. This is sort of how the book starts, right? Yeah. yeah okay. And then, uh, honestly, like you go through an alcohol withdrawal seizure and delirium tremors. Like, I was like, 
I was pretty dead set at that point. I was like, I will go this next year without alcohol. This is like fucked. And I, I was like, but it's going to be impossible hard. And I'm going to be a different person. I'm not going to be fun to be around all this shit, but like, I have to do it clearly. Like I fucked myself. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like I just didn't want to go through that experience again. It was so bad. Like it's really, well, I've seen you throw, uh, like throwback pictures you put up sometimes. And let's just say you look like the picture of health now compared yeah. to some of those bloated versions of you I've seen. Yeah. It's, uh, it's trippy to look back on those. Actually. I'm like, fuck man. That, that's like, you that's look like I'm, greasy. In a lot of yeah, pictures. I do. I look greasy. <laughs> not not to be mean or anything, no, but you no. look like you're in better place. You know, it's I can still I can still get pretty greased up. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I just was like, okay, I'll take that year, and then honestly, it was just like pretty instantaneously. When I, does that switch into? I'm going to write this article now about oh, that's this years later. Is, okay, years later. This is like so. January 2016 was like I like embraced. It's called the pink cloud. Um, but like, I loved it right away. I was like, once I got over the delirium tremors and took like benzos to like cure those symptoms, I was like, I've never felt this sane in my entire life. I felt like I would go crazy if I quit drinking, like crazy. Yeah. And mid January, I was like, my emotions have never been this regulated. Like I sensed it right away. So you just felt fantastic. I was like, I've never been like this, like not stressed out. And I thought my stress levels would go in the complete opposite direction. Well, it's because when you first try to quit the first couple of days, even I get that with my limited amount of drinking, I have a sensitive disposition and, and chemistry, I suppose. And when I quit drinking after heavily drinking a bunch of nights in a row, I get pretty shitty withdrawal and I can't sleep insomnia. So it's right to assume that that's what's going to happen. You would think be right to think that, you know, mm -hmm. but you go past that wall and then you get to the glory zone or the pink cloud, as you describe it. Every time you say something like that, you're like, when I go hard, man, I still get withdrawal for like a couple of days. I'm like, dad, dad, are we taking notes over here, dad? <laughs> Little red flags. I yeah. can't do anything, but. Uh, Some of it's linked to my anxiety, my OCD. No, I'm, I'm just sure. fucking around. I spiral out, I think, pretty easily when I'm in those states because of pre-existing mental, you know, conditions, whatever you want to call it. No, I know. And uh, like everyone's so like, don't get me wrong. There's times also too where I was like, oh, I've never felt crazier down the line. But like right away. I was like, wow, this is shocking. It was just the complete opposite of what I ever thought stopping drinking would be like. Because especially that that month I went off earlier, the first time I had pancreatitis, which at that time was only like six, seven, eight months earlier. I was like, I had an end goal. Yeah. Right? I was like, and I was like, oh, I'm going to fucking smoke an ounce a week again of weed. Yeah. And eat, like take out every night because like I'm getting through this like month without drinking. And then this time I was like, yo, this is going to have to be your life, right? So, like, I didn't have that end thing to, like, also keep me. And also, too, I was probably, like, super sane that month and thinking, well, it's because I know I get to drink again. Like, no, it's because you're just not drinking. Yeah. So then anyways, yeah, that year was, like, when I originally decided. I was like, oh, man, and I'll quit all this other shit because I, like you said, I had ulcers, which I didn't know at the time. So then I went for, uh, now this is uh Ottawa emergency rooms where I had all the alcohol withdrawal seizure and they give me the benzos and stuff. My mom was with me. Then I moved back to Toronto or move. I go back to Toronto after Christmas. And then uh, in Toronto, they're like, my family doctor's like, okay, let's like check out your stomach with a camera to make sure this pancreas isn't like fucking lacerated. And yeah. we got to check out a bunch of other shit. And they were like, yeah, your pancreas is crazy inflamed. That's fucked. Watch it. Like we said, but yeah, you're lucky. It's still in like one piece. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And they're like, but you have stomach ulcers. I was like, oh, yeah. And they're like, and bad ones. So I was like, oh, okay, what do we do about that? And they're like, you just cut out 
out, 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 coffee, dairy, red oh, meat. Oh, they're going to say cut out the cigarettes. ulcers. <laughs> yeah, cut out ulcers. Cut out a hole. Well, I didn't know if it was like a surgery required. Or no, no, you're that. smarter than me. I shouldn't ever be condescending towards you. No, no. God. It won't stop me from doing it a couple more times. Oh, but. please. It's it's comedy. And you seem like a smart <laughs> dude yourself. So. No, it's just the glasses. Believe me. <laughs> I got it's my just the glasses here, and I dress like fucking Steve Jobs. It's, it's, all, <laughs> it's all a grand act. That. So... Yeah, I, I I I got the ulcers, and they told me I had to quit all that shit. And I was like, pretty right away, like, oh, I'm gonna go jump into the harbor. I'm gonna drown myself. This is fucked. And then got home and kind of just realized, like, okay, you thought this was alcohol. Like, let's give it a shot. And then the next day felt like super confident, like, okay, I could do this. And you know, I mean, I could, I'll probably get in like good shape. So I was like, this is all like. Beginning of January, right? And I then I went to a boxing class and it was like, and I'd been to a couple, but never like really in earnest and just loved it, even though I puked and was like, okay, like very clearly that's when like, it was like, you know, stones moving into place to like fucking like a wall opening up like, oh shit. Like I was like, okay, yeah, this is like the path for me. Um, And then I, I don't, I was much like the way I used, I was like, Oh, don't do anything small though. Like if I'm quitting all this shit in a year, I was like, I'll write a book about it. Like, do you have any formal training writing long form prose or even experience doing it? No, but I'll write a fucking book. And then like, so freshly sober too. What a crazy idea. And yeah, it did not, not work. That out. crazy. Oh, this is, the oh, yeah, but yeah, this okay. is in 2016. But that's, literally but that's the nothing beginnings. I wrote that year. No, you're right. It is important stuff. It's the kindling for what would become this this fire here. You know. Well, I would say it was more like there's like cow dung underneath the kindling of like it was. So, anyways, I was like, I'll write a book about it. And then that year was also like curveball got thrown at me with like uh, bad family news and shit like that. And this is your uncle? Or, yeah, yeah, tried to like maintain on the straight and narrow but then he died and he like helped raise me lived like around the corner from me and um and then i don't like want to hang the whole relapse up on that or anything like that it was just it was a very tough time for that and then well i did uh, notice a, a pattern sorry to cut you off um that a trigger i was going to ask you what some of your your biggest triggers are for for some of your things that you've quit but it would seem from the book that grief was one because when mike mcdonald passed away that was another time where you almost kind of faltered and, and went and grabbed a drink so i was just wondering if there was any other things that really stuck out as as big triggers for you yeah i don't process like specifically death like uh well at all me neither it goes like it spikes right away really brutal and then i just turn it off to like a low hum for months and months and then comes back i'm working on it now like therapy is a really good idea for, yeah, for anyone uh, everyone yeah yeah it's the only thing that I am. I'm not preachy at all about like sobriety or anything else. I even say, I was like, yeah, I would never be sober if I could have a few drinks, Manager. even like yeah. whatever. I, I wouldn't have done it. I, I had to for me. Um, but so, but therapy is the one I am like, everyone must go. You're not in therapy. You must go. You'll be a better partner, a better parent, a better son, a better daughter, like that kind of shit. Well, it had a huge impact on you as well when you found out later that you had a neurological issue, right? That was the only thing that really helped from what I read in the book. Yeah, so... Um, Sorry to jump ahead there. But no, it's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we don't want to go through like the whole like beats of the uh, what the book. Yeah, maybe is not. Yeah, you can. No, tell I meant like going. along the whole way. No, uh, yeah, and then yeah, eventually like for a variety of reasons, uh, but one very predominantly, I had I was diagnosed with what's called functional neurological disorder, and uh, it's like 
as I say in the book, and this is the way it was explained to me the day I got diagnosed, like you're, the hardware of your brain is fine. It's the software. The signals, for whatever reason, are fucked. That's mm. all my doctors talked to me like. They didn't know why? It was genetic or? No, no, no. I meant like they talked to me like they work at Popeye supplements. Oh. <laughs> like, bro, your shit's <laughs> fucked, man. You know what you got to do? Uh, <laughs> progressive overload. So, yeah, that was like um, a long time to get diagnosed with that too. But I was already long sober by that point and in therapy. Did they think it was from substance abuse or something you were born with? They They don't really care about like cause as much it's so weird functional or logical disorder like is really uh and i see i could see it growing with this modern stressful world we live in but i bet you it's always been a thing and like before they just called it like oh he's got the deep down crazies and then now <laughs> it's like we, autism we never used to get recognized right day, so yeah. now we take things seriously but uh yeah i i had it for a very very specific reason that actually ends up uh, when you do research about, and I feel so bad because anyone with FND, like, I don't know, man, this is like, you can, it's so fucking crazy. It's just Google functional neurological disorder, then Google, uh, Freud conversion disorder. Cause that's what he called it. Oh. And basically, and I'm not presupposing why anyone else would have FND, but I, it was a conversion disorder that I had. I wasn't processing, uh, different traumas that had happened to me. And, one very specifically okay uh and just refuse to like even say it out loud and then um that can happen though the body can attack yeah you. it's crazy it really yeah. it's it felt like uh like the venom symbiote or some shit yeah. like Eating taking over. over me it was like so fucked and like the more i would bury because there'd be times where i would be like you know this is probably mental health related and maybe you should go say some things that you've never said out loud yeah. and every time i'd think of that i'd be like no i it would make it worse so it would make the physical worse there's a book that everyone's recommending to me now and recommending to a lot of people called the body keeps the score and i can't read it because it's just way too like hit home the way everyone describes it to me i'm like i can't read that book um and i just kind of wrote the comedy version of it so i don't want to like fair it. yeah but yeah it's like um it's it, interesting how the body can can attack it's, itself. It, it is very very interesting. It is and shitty, and it was <laughs> doing that. I mean, it did that to push me to like, I'm gonna make you fucking deal with these mm -hmm. mental health issues. Like, I am going to physically like some part of my brain or my body or whatever just went like, no, yeah, we're not continuing on like this. It, yeah, it's yeah, wild. immune system stuff is crazy. I um. I'm divorced, and there was obviously a point in any marriage that ends in divorce where the marriage wasn't going so well. And at back then, I didn't work out. I was, uh, I had quit smoking cigarettes and all that, but I, I wasn't a really healthy person. And uh, I ended up having to shave my head for like three years because I got alopecia and I had like random chunks of my hair were falling out and stuff. It's wow. all back because I changed my life around. That's super I, cool. You know, Congratulations! I love that. I love hearing that. I love having hair again. I mean, it's I got used to being bald for a while, but you know. But yeah, so, that that's a big one that manifests, right? Like yeah. stress-induced. People so. get rashes. Yeah, for sure. So I, I used to have like very sensitive skin, very sensitive skin. Would not take a lot to set it off. Like a little bit of Febreze getting on my arm and I would have an all-body rash then within 24 hours. Damn. That's when I was using all the time and super, you know, dealing with like undiagnosed PTSD, a variety of things. And then now, like, a little bit of Febreze gets on me, and I'm like, oh, that spot might be a little itchy. I'll just go wash it off and nothing. 
Yeah. And it wasn't even like stressing about the Febreze getting on me as I was at a constantly elevated level of stress my entire life. Yeah. Well, you release a shit ton of cortisol, which is supposed to be terrible for your skin. For oh whatever. God. Yeah. yeah. The next thing that's going to happen to me is they're going to be like, he's got the heart of a 65 year old <laughs> fucking flight navigator. I'm oh, like, bro. yeah, I bet you for sure. Uh, it's, it's hard to know where it's all going. You know what I mean? What was the most challenging part about putting yourself in the club atmosphere, which we all know is full of alcohol, probably cocaine, weed, a lot of other stuff. Um, I, clearly, you didn't want to give up on comedy because you love it so much, but it's it's entrenched in all that other stuff. So what was the hardest part about trying to get back out there? Honestly, it's um, it's the amount of free mm. alcohol, and it still is. The only thing that trips me up is when it's free. Um even someone's, like someone's just holding a shot up. To I'm you trying to eat better right now. Cause I had like a, a rough go of it in September, October for me. Like I put on uh, a few like pounds and it's not like healthy way. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, I know it's not from like lifting and shit. So, um, <laughs> and I was like, Oh God, I'm really going to clean it up. I was doing well. And then Saturday I was doing this show in all in Toronto and they, they had pizza and everything for us backstage. I was like, well, it's free. I'm powerless. And it was like with alcohol, I obviously didn't uh, partake, but, but it's those, still very difficult when I'm at a show. And so they're gratuity like, we got like yeah. free like pints for you guys. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, oh, right. That that's sweet. Uh, that mm. is. And it's almost at every show. Right. Uh, even discounts. I could be like, OK, I can deal with like a good drink deal. Yeah. But when it's full free, I'm like, fuck. Like it's very difficult. That, but it's hard I, to say no, yeah. But in general, just being surrounded by alcohol, I knew right away. I was like, you're gonna have to get very good at that because um, you can't. I was already out of free chances. Like I was like, you've had a substance abuse meltdown that lasted months, very publicly in comedy. You do it again, you're that guy. No one's gonna. You can't. So you just you, mentally prepped the shit out of your brain before going back to the clubs. I, I didn't, there was no like time off. I didn't, I mean, I oh, had that shit. last drink December 19th and I still did the shows the next two nights. And then my next show would be new year's Eve. If not a couple warm up ones before that anyways. And that was so like, I didn't take any time. Oh yeah. It was, yeah. I had a show boxing day that year. So the delirium tremors, uh, were like maybe like just stopped from like the benzos and then was like, okay, it's been three days. I got a I got a show at Yucks tonight, and then I got a New Year's show. Oh, I got this big theater show in Thunder Bay in January. It was all very very quick. Yeah. So this stuff all eventually leads to the podcast. I, the podcast came before the Vice article, or the other yeah, one? yeah, okay. no, the podcast. Well, the Vice article came out started, right? midway through the podcast, towards the end, with like three months left. Okay. And that, I mean, blows up. The podcast got a lot of great reception from people. You helped a lot of people who were struggling on their own, it sounds like, and got a lot of positive uh, listener feedback. But then Vice picks up your article later. You end up going on uh, NBC Today with, what's her name, Kelly? Megan, Megan Kelly. Kelly. Santa right is white. Yeah. Megan Kelly, the <laughs> fucking Barbie of Fox News, the original Barbie of Fox News. Um, but you must have started to go, okay, this is... That's when you started getting the inklings to write this, I would think, when when the theme was working so well for you. Honestly, I'm such like a fucking lucky bastard. I wrote the Vice article, and uh, the first draft was so shit. Like, I have a very natural inclina inclination to be lazy, and like, oh, bare minimum, here it is. I handed in a draft. They were like, one paragraph of this is good. The rest is shit, dude. And like, it's what an adult publication like Vice tells that to you, like... 
they didn't say this outright, but I could tell like, oh, I handed another shitty draft. They're like, sorry, buddy, this is a great idea for an article, but you suck. Mm. And I knew too, when I even handed the first one in, I was like, this sucks. And I still did it. I was like, who cares? The podcast is almost done. I got everything I wanted out of it. Blah, just get me in. And then Vice was like, we don't just get you in because you want. I'm like, okay, I'll try. So I wrote that article and then it came out. And my a guy that I met, um, a great comedian who uh, had his own imprint at a publisher uh, and had published like six books himself, like, or sorry, had six big books published. Charlie Demers uh, read the Vice article. We were like a buddy kind of like through comedy. We had like one meal together at the Just for Laughs in the book from 2009. And he was like, he messaged me already. He's like, man, I loved your Vice article. You ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, God damn. I was like, this is now full circle. Cause like originally that's what, yeah, what it was going to start as. So then I, and then I, we, we, he gave me a lot of time. He's like, you're a first time writer. You know, I signed the book deal. It would have been like February, 2018. It came out April, 2021. So like we yeah. knew like, yeah, you're going to have to like on the job learning and there's a the pandemic shoved in the middle of there. And too, the right? pandemic yeah. was a great thing to have happened for having a book on deadline. Yeah. Like I, I really was able to the stars aligned. Yeah, a lot of people were saying, you know, like, I just don't know what to do. And, like, during my writing times, I was like, I got lots to do. Well, let's go back before the book then and talk about the podcast. So Alex Wood quits everything because it does heavily tie into the book. And this is where originally I thought it was going to be 12 episodes and you were going to do just one per month. But mm. it, there's many more. It's like 50 or so. Or there's one a week I, for a whole year. So, yeah. So there were some that didn't pertain to these 12 things, right? There were mm -hmm. like, I noticed one was video games and a couple of the other ones that I was surprised weren't on this list. But for the people who haven't read your book, let's go over the 12 things that you were quitting for both the podcast and eventually the book. Cocaine, alcohol, weed, caffeine, nail biting, cigarettes, red meat, dairy, porn, credit cards, gossip, sugar, social media, and smartphones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it would be Quite one of, undertaking. Well, they weren't all at the same time, right? It was one a month, the first of the month. But they carried then, over. Yeah, so they carried over. There was yeah. a point where I was off all of them. Uh, yeah, that was, again, just from like, well, I don't do things like half-assed or, or actually that is, I just said I do lots of things half-assed, but like <laughs> oddly enough, like, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. Again, the paradoxical thing with like, with addicts where I'm like, I must consume as many things or like, uh, like Make deprive myself for so many things, but also yeah. still be lazy at the same time. Somehow it's, it's interesting, but, um, yeah, I just was like, okay, well the problem's me. I was like, I keep like, I was fucking drinking. Like, you know, I hate when people brag or whatever, but like literally like 80 to a hundred drinks a week for years and years and years. And I was like, Jeez. but I have a cocaine problem. I would tell that to people. How's your liver? Jesus. I would be hammered and be like, I have a cocaine problem. You cannot let me around if I have cocaine. And people would be like, yeah, I think that might, and I could see them being weird. And I was like, nah, I know I'm an alcoholic too, but like cocaine's my real problem. And they'd be like, uh, okay. You're like, yeah, you're pissing on my shoes right now or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I just saw you puke into a pizza pizza box and then reach into that same box a few minutes later. Like, did you forget what happened? Like, yeah, there's one part in the book where you talk about uh, like licking cocaine off of a bathroom rug or something. I'm like, oh, no, not a. Actually, I probably did do or that. Snorting, it's snorting, maybe. Or no, I I licked it off my my bedroom floor rug like several times. Yeah, that's not even like that's a, your. Uh, that's, that's not, not even like as, a one time incident. <laughs> that's not as bad as somebody else's bathroom where you don't know who's. Yeah, see, I'd like to think I didn't do that, but. 
Um, okay, well, actually, first of all, a lot of these things make tons of sense. Obviously, you're going to try and quit the big ones. But some of these choices were kind of interesting, like nail-biting. It seems more like a bad habit than an addiction, per se, but I, I'm also guilty of, of that one. So it was interesting to have on there. Gossip was one I was not expecting to see, but it seemed to be one of the most profound sort of uh, instant reaction or positive reactions that you got out of quitting one of these things. Well, I mean, any comedian is a fucking awful gossip, gossip a, a, a one-person <laughs> sewing circle. So, I, I, yeah, I just kind of like when I was making the list, it was like some of them seemed so obvious, and then I kind of realized I was like, yeah, man, I'm fucking always shit talking, like always. And then you hear those things about like, well, yeah, now people don't like that, like. <laughs> They're listening right now, and they might be, but then they walk away, and they're like, what's he saying about me when I'm not there? And I yeah. realize, too, I'm like, I talk about, talk shit about, like, my best friends, my no favorite people in the world. Nobody escapes my, like, wrath of complaining about them. Mm. Like, people hear gossip, and they think I'm, like, spreading their secrets, and I'm actually, like, half decent and not doing that, especially compared to comedians. But just talking shit about them? Like, no, I'm fucking yeah. horrendous. My best friends, instead of, like... Oh, you know what he did that was really funny the other night? Or you know how he, he's always got my back or something? Yeah. Instead, I'm like, you know, this fucking one annoying thing he keeps doing. And I tell it to everybody all the time. Yeah, like, that snorting noise he always makes after yeah. <laughs> something like random and kind of, you know, minuscule, really. Yeah. And I, like to fixate on that instead. And it's just like, so I, I realized I was like, I want to change that. It was just stuff I wanted to change, right? Well, you said a really cool thing about like, why am I going to spend 20 minutes? shitting on this person when I could spend that 20 minutes working on myself, you know? Well, that's why you do the shit. That's why you shit on them because then it prevents you from having to do that. Yeah. It's an avoidance tactic. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I want to ask you then, were there any things that almost made the list, but didn't? Oh, that's a great question. I've never been asked. Oh, nice. I always get love when I get one that they've never been asked. Um, the first time I tried to, because this is the list from the podcast. The first time I was going to do it as a book, it was only 10 things. Oh. So really, like a couple of the ones on there... Almost didn't make it. Were, were, yeah, like I was like, oh shit, could I... Like porn probably, I was close to being like, wait, 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 I don't need to cut this out. And I was like, you probably do. You do that all the time as well. And I was like, fuck, I mean, if I watch it every single day, and could, some days, multiple times a day, I was like, well, then I have to. Um, I couldn't believe gambling wasn't on there. And that's that's probably the one that I was just about to land on for like the not having been on because people ask me that one and I do gamble on sports, play poker, like to go to the casino, scratch lotos, probably actually going to the casino after do this, but that's just to meet a friend whose birthday it is. Um, Damn, how late's the casino open? I guess it's a yeah, it's, it's open it's all night. Late. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, gambling would be the one, but I honestly didn't put it on because I was like, I just feel dishonest. Like I'm like I've never, never felt issues. I needed to quit gambling. That I had a, like a significant problem, and that's because I'm like, no, this I need money to get the other things that I do have a problem with, and this like, um, like prevents me from doing that most often because statistically you lose money when you True, gamble. Yeah. And then also too, I never related to the rush as much as other people that had gambling problems. You hear people who are, have gambling problems are like, I don't even care what I lose. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I, they're like, I do, but it's different. Like, I don't care. It's I'm the it's the rush of they're talking about the rush of waiting to find out if they're going to win or lose, yeah. and that's what the they're suspense. addicted to. And I was like, oh, that's the worst part for me. I'm yeah. like. 
And I'm always thinking like, please God pay off so I can afford to fucking eat like a monster this whole week or, or fucking get top shelf or whatever, you know, it's more stressful than anything. Yeah. yeah. Where they enjoy that feeling. I was like, well, that I, that's, so that was the one I didn't put on. Cause I was like, oh, that just feels like I will. Cause it'll sound like, well, and my dad had said before the podcast, uh, you should ask him which ones he didn't want to tackle. Like that. You were like, eh, you know what? I don't. And porn sort of sounded like it was on the verge of the being that, but yeah, porn didn't want to for sure. Smartphone and social media. I was just like, don't put that on there. You need this for your job. And also it'll make things so much harder. And then when I started having those thoughts, I was like, that's why you should put it on. Yeah. I was like, ah, fuck. Okay, cool. I like your thought process on this. Just, you know how you approached this. Well, yeah, too. Also, too, like I thought I was like, well, if you're trying to like reprogram your brain and the first thing you thought of is like, oh, I can't fucking do that. It'll be impossible. It's too hard for these ones. Then that they should definitely be on. And I was like, God damn it. Yeah, it's true. The more pushback you get mentally, the more it's probably meant to be on there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I will actually throw to my. Do you have a question, Dad, or no? Usually I, he, he brings a question for the guest, but we may have already gone over it. That happens sometimes, too. He just stole his question. That's Yeah. Yeah, it, it covered I, a lot of ground. Yeah. Well, you can always circle back to it if you don't want to. I guess one thing I would wonder about is, did you find, I mean, obviously this was a process that you had to go through. So did you find that for the different types of addictions that the process was the same or did you have to modify the process for different things? And just to expand on that, when you see a schlub like me that just has the normal problems like, geez, I wish I didn't eat so much because I'm getting fat, like food is an addiction for me. Do I follow? If you told me, well, here's what I did. Would your process work for me? Or is this a, a voyage of self-discovery that everyone has to go through to figure it out? That's another, that's a fantastic question. There's a couple questions. So I'm going to answer two of them. The one about is the process the same on like, was this the same between each thing? I was like amazed by that. Um, so when you're quitting, when you've already quit Coke and booze, like it is like, it is like training for, for a lot of these things, nothing on cigarettes would be the next closest, but nothing on this list was as difficult as quitting those two. And those are the three you've never gone back on. Am I correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like hard drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. And even right now I'm off everything, caffeine, weed. I'm glad to hear you never went back to cigarettes. Cause that would have been an easy no, one for people oh to God, justify. I you. fucking... Yeah, it's the stupidest. I play the tape out cigarettes now. That's how I, I specifically get by that one just very easily. I'm like, I won't enjoy that first cigarette back. I'll enjoy like the 10th one back. Why yeah. would I smoke those Once first nine? Once you build nine? up your tar layer again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So fuck that. I'm not, I don't want to get a head rush. I think about what that first cigarette actually would be back. I'm like, it's going to be a head rush. You're going to feel gross. Nauseous. Yeah. yeah, why the fuck? So yeah, so I'd say the process was like oddly similar though. Like it wasn't like nearly as intense physically, like withdrawal symptoms, but like, I could not believe the sugar headache I got when I was on like second day off sugar. I was like, this is fucking intense. And I did not expect that. It was like worse than a caffeine withdrawal headache. Cause like a caffeine withdrawal headache was like pressure kind of headache is what it feels like. Um, and then it's, you find out it's because you're actually getting the appropriate amount of blood sent to your brain. That's why, you're but not used to it. Yeah. Uh, wow. that's the pressure you're feeling <laughs> like, no, it's actually you're getting the right amount of blood. Damn. Yeah. And then with, um, sugar, it just felt like piercing. Like it was like, this is uncomfortable. Like it was closer to, uh, like a hard drug, like headache. Crazy. Withdrawal. Um, I expected that. No, I know it was, it was stunning. Did you have and, an insane sugar intake before that? Like, I mean, everybody does. 
Well, I mean, there's people who go around eating Snickers every day and shit like that. And then there's people who eat, you know. I had probably turned it up because I, um, yeah, like I was already off so many things. So I was trying to like subvert with sugar. So at the time I probably was. And it was like sugar was January 1st. So like December is a goddamn sugar month. So I probably was on like a somewhat particularly bad bender. I mean, I was already off the red meat and dairy. So that goes, yeah, probably like a lot of like, well, you know, it doesn't have... You know, you could find the candy bars that don't use real milk, all that kind yeah, of shit. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, as far as the second part, which is the most important part, is like, oh, man, it is a lot. Like, sometimes people, ask, when people ask for, like, advice, I'm like, get help. That's what, like, it's oh, man, and people think I'm about to, like, say something, like, profound that's going to help. And I'm like, no, that's, getting help is what helped me. That's what I'm, like, so I said with therapy, that's the only thing I'm really, um, like, dogmatic about. Uh, because like, uh, that's when I really started getting a lot better at everything is when I got like serious help for it. Like a neurologist, a, a therapist, like, okay, now things are getting manageable. And also everyone's like so different. So for instance, this is what I always say is like, um, mantras work really well for me. And, um, I thought I had like, I was like, you can't have worse self-esteem than I have either. Then I found out, I just read this like one study about like mantras actually having a negative effect on people that have very, very poor self-esteem because it just like actually makes their cycle go faster. They'll like, Hmm. um, so a mantra that was like huge for me when I was uh, getting right off after my MDMA binge, which is like in there, it's so funny. It's like, where the fuck did any of this happen? I don't know. It's it's a timeline's fucked. Mixed in there. It's always back and forth. So. Uh, was I can, I will, which is just something Roman Reigns, the professional wrestler was saying at that time, but I liked it so much. I can, I will, it was working so well for me. And some people with like, like I, there's, it's hard for me to conceptualize, but worse self-esteem than me when mantras have the opposite effect for them. I can, I will. No, I can't. What the fuck am I talking about? Uh, And it's actually, it's actually way worse for them. And then they get mad that the mantra is not working. I can't even get a fucking mantra. Right. I'm so where I'm like, Holy shit. Believe in the mantra. Yeah. So it's almost like, like, so mantras work for me, but I can't go telling everybody, well, you know, a good way is like a mantra. That's how. And like a lot of the things that work for me too. Like I fucking really start confessing to this now too. If I didn't have comedy, like, I really wonder, like, I'm like, yeah, I probably would have just drank myself to death. Sometimes I do think that. Um, I wonder, like, what I would have happened without boxing. Like, these are the things that worked for me. So, like, I'm not going to tell everybody to, like, go to a fucking boxing gym, start, in a, start going to open mics or whatever. But, like, for sure, like, find something that you can transfer over these, like, addiction beams to redirect like exactly like and i also realized too is like well that's my thing like i have an addictive personality to the nth degree so can i really change that i'm gonna try but i think it's easier to just set my phasers in other directions yeah and and then as far as like food goes i i want my i mean i don't know if i would write one or i will have the opportunity to but if i do write a second book i want i just i don't know exactly how but it's going to be about and related and surrounding food because like, especially when you get sober, everyone I know puts on weight um, or like a lot of people should, I, I should say. And, and so many things and you can, just the relationship between food and how it affects your brain is so similar. And I feel like I can speak from like pretty good lived experience on it. Like it's crazy. It trips me out all the time how similar it is to drugs. Like when I'm eating ice cream, 
I, the whole time I'm eating ice cream, I'm talking like while I'm eating it, I'm thinking I'm already getting depressed of like, fuck, this is going to be done. And then my brain goes, but not if we go out and get like fucking, why don't we eat like seven pints of ice cream tonight? Jesus. And, and, and it's nuts. Like specifically that one and ice cream is right. It's anything with that much sugar and that much dairy at the same time. Oh fuck. Look out. Love and the same thing with pizza. I eat a pizza, love pizza in like 18 minutes. I'll eat a large pizza. And like by minute 16, I'm so sad that there's like one slice left. And then I'm like, fuck. Okay. Well eat this slice and then we'll figure out where we're getting the next pizza. Like that shit still goes through my brain. And, amazing. and you got to eat every day. So obviously it's, it's very difficult to like navigate that. So like, and then again, everyone's going to be different with like that. So like, for instance, food, like a big thing with me is like, um, like exercise really helps me conceptualize. Okay. So that 10 K you ran today is two like snack size bags of Doritos. Was that 10 K worth as much as I enjoyed it, it is still work sometimes. Is it worth two fucking measly ass bags of Doritos? Yeah. And then I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. So that's why I like exercise when I'm exercising and I, I actually eat better. Well, and and most then, of those foods make you want more of those types of foods. Yes, well, exactly. That too. And, yeah. I'd say the one thing for that I would be also dogmatic about, I guess, is playing the tape out. Like really yeah. play the fucking tape out. Like, like oh, I, mean, I really want chips tonight and I really want all these things that are going to be awful for me. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta fucking really like tap into your feelings, your Star Wars shit of like, how are you going to feel when that bag of chips is done? Yeah. Not, and there's times where I get in touch with myself, like pretty great. You've been super disciplined lately and you haven't had chips in months. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'll go. That's what I'm doing well. But like right now I've been eating like uh like very poorly for like a couple months. And I know I'm like, I'm feeling bad after every single meal right now. That's bad for me. I got to get it back on the straight and narrow tonight after the show. I was like, Oh, I'll take a fucking chicken garden salad. I desperately wanted nachos desperately, but I was like, you're, you're going to be miserable after you have them. The minute they're done, you're going to be miserable. And those small battles add up too. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay. So like, and then the key to that is that's why it's important not to beat yourself up. Like I was saying earlier, it's like a weird, sorry, that probably picked up so much. Uh, we're selling beard oil now tonight. <laughs> so then, like when I'm uh, like in the moment, like, so tonight after I finished the chicken salad, I really, I spent like a good, like, like just minute, a moment of like, this tasted really good and you feel great right now in every way, like emotionally that you did. It, and then also physically so much better than the nachos, right? Like really remember that for you have a Let meal to eat in. after every show this whole week. And none of them can be nachos because you're also doing Kingston next week. Mm. And then this, and then it's Christmas time. It's like, do you want Christmas time to be like, oh, I can actually enjoy a few fucking awful things? Or do you want it to be like, oh, God, I'm just doing this to fill the hole inside? Good Lord. So it's like when you, when you mess up, remember that feeling. And like, you know what I mean? Like get in touch with like, so instance, this is so funny. So last night I ordered, I was doing good, like, kind of good since that show Saturday where I said I had the free pizza was like slip. And then last night I ordered, um, chicken gyro. And I was like, okay, I've earned some rice and, uh, and some pita bread, some carbs. This is okay. Not too bad. Finished it. And it was like, yo, let's get some sushi. And I was like, Alex, this will be $50 you spend on food just for dinner from Uber Eats. You're not a fucking Sultan. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I am. And then I ordered uh sushi. I ordered 16 pieces of the deep fried California roll. Oh man. 
and ate it like after eating like four chicken skewers and like a, some potatoes and rice. It was a gorge. It was miserable too. Like, and the other thing is too, is like, I only like uh, non seaweed wrapped sushi and I don't know how to fucking order it. And I don't know what it's called. And I don't even know if it's technically sushi at that point. But anyways, this one was seaweed wrapped. I was like, great. You just, you're a fucking idiot. And then ate it miserably. Didn't really even enjoy it that much. And it put on a ton of fucking sodium and all that shit. And then when it was done, I went, well, don't escape this feeling. You got to fully feel it. Cause it's been a while since I was at that low off food of like, you just ate purely for sport yeah there was no reason you weren't even emotionally that in a bad place like you ate just to fucking be because you were bored and just really got in like remember how this feels because this doesn't feel good but that's then, so cool to see how you've trained your brain like that you know that you've developed that discipline level well i mean it's not bulletproof but you gotta yeah you gotta like you're gonna like fucking fuck up all the time and then you know what i mean like you gotta like remember what that's like so you can not fuck up again yeah um, okay, well, we're definitely going to have to get in this book. I know we're getting a little late on time, but um, before I wanted to point out that I'm drinking this this sparkling water. Uh, definitely not a Mike's Hard Lemonade. Fuck you, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Bit of a thing. It's become every episode now we uh, say, fuck you, Mike's Hard Lemonade. There's a story there. If you want to hear it, we can. If not, you know. Well, I'm not looking to get sued. No, no, it's, it's, I feel like I owe it to my, maybe not to this audience, but people, friends on Facebook were following along with it. Something that happened, this contest I was in, they kind of fucked me over. So I feel like I owe an explanation for how that kind of went. Um, So for anyone who's interested, I joined this contest I found on, on Instagram and Facebook, and it was all over that on their social media to come up with the next slogan for their Mike's Hard Lemonade, uh, Lemon Seltzer, or whatever the hell it is. Oh, yeah, I know this. Okay, and they had McLovin as their spokesperson, all that. I got in on the contest. It must have launched 27 minutes or something earlier. So I was really, really early in. There weren't that many comments, and it said to just post a comment to submit your your slogan. And I put in, meet your new main squeeze, which I thought was like a really clever one. And I was checking the comment sections, making sure nobody else had done it. I'm like, sweet, you know, this is my slogan. It's in there. Uh, in the following days, I would reinsert it just to make sure that they remembered my slogan. And, you know, about a month goes by and they finally announced the, the eight finalists. And sure enough, my slogan is there. And I'm like, yeah, I make this big Facebook post. I start telling my friends, like, make sure you vote for me. And then it made it through to the top four. And at that point, for whatever reason, they decide to tag the creators and all of a sudden it's being tagged for somebody else and it's their creation, not mine. Um, so long story short, as per their rules, they didn't break any rules is what I learned because they were shady ass rules. Um, but I kind of just feel pissed about how the way that they ran the contest because there was no uh, authority to who submitted something first. It literally says, like, let's say we get 70 votes for this meet your new main squeeze, which they claimed they had gotten 70 submissions for that one. Then they just randomly pick from all of those submissions, even if it was you copy pasting mine you know, no original content of any means. And then you get the five grand. Yeah, at least look it up on the timestamp because then you could say- I had all that, yeah. I was arguing the timestamps. And not only that, but the main ways that I had seen people submitting were through Facebook and Instagram in a comment section. Simple, lazy, that's how most people are. Mm -hmm. There was a third way you could do it, which was through some sort of online form that would redirect you to a website. I tried that, it kind of was glitching on my phone. I was like, whatever, I've done my Facebook, my Instagram. 
according to them, because I got all these people rallying for me, all these people came to the comment section and said, hey, like Oliver came up with this. We got the timestamps. Like, all these people were backing me up. And then that's when they told me, well, we actually got 70 submissions for meet your new main squeeze. Six of them were yours. And I'm like, okay, well, then where are the other 64? I scanned Facebook uh, comments. I scanned the Instagram comments from those original posts. I couldn't find any, certainly not 64 of them. Uh, and then they told me that there was over 9,000 submissions in total. And I, again, I go back to the Facebook and Instagram comment sections, which were one of the ways you could submit, only 800 comments in each. So that's only 1,600. So they're saying roughly 7,500 applications went through this online portal website way that you could submit, which is only verifiable by them. It's not public in the ways that these comment sections are. So I just got to take their word for it that, yeah, no, we had 64 other people who said the same and sorry, we, you didn't get drawn. So anyways, in a nutshell, that's kind of what happened. They're technically not at fault, but I think they ran a bogus ass contest where they exploited creative people. Hey, there's a good slogan. For all I know, someone from their company copy pasted my shit and then randomly got selected. You know what I mean? It's just the whole thing seems kind of fishy. So for anyone who was wondering, there you go. Little definitely. Yeah, I think I speak for everyone listening, or I say like I, I kind of Mike's hard side on this one. Oh, you're on Mike's hard side. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, it's bureaucratic bullshit is kind of the way I looked at it. Like, really, you're on their side. Completely. <laughs> I like how at first you're okay with it. And you're like, really? Well, no. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, no, no, and I gave you the Coles notes here, joking. so I might be omitting uh, little details. But it's well, I was like just joking, but there's no way you admitted uh, omitted any details. There, that's <laughs> that's for sure what happened. Please stand by. Okay, I'm going to have to jump in here because I actually did manage to forget a pretty crucial detail when I was speaking to Alex about this whole Mike's Hard Lemonade fiasco. I briefly mentioned that there was $5,000 on the line with this contest, but what I forgot to mention was that my, my slogan ended up winning the whole thing. So I'm sure you can imagine how that would add some extra salt in the wound. That being said, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and uh, honestly, I don't want to carry around this negative vibe of this whole Mike's Hard Lemonade thing anymore, so uh, I'm dropping it. I'm not going to be doing it in the show, the whole fuck you, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Still, fuck you, Mike's Hard Lemonade. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it in my heart, but uh, I'm not going to bother trying to put it in every episode. I'm just going to move on, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't need that shit bogging me down, so uh, sucks that it happened, but life keeps a going. Uh, while we're doing corrections here too, I want to mention at the beginning of the episode, I noticed that uh, when Alex asked me if anyone knows or has seen my dad, I said, I don't think he's ever been on camera before. Um, okay, you can tell uh, I smoke too much weed because I interviewed my dad for like two and a half hours on episode 21. So uh, yeah, brain fart there. But if you haven't seen that episode with my dad, go check it out. It's uh, not the best audio quality. We were still figuring things out. But anyways, back to the podcast. Uh, anyways, back to this amazing book, float like a butterfly, sting like, or drink mint tea. Jesus. I almost said the original. Okay. Um, so this, I wanted to ask you Justin about Justin studio, well. Muhammad Ali. <laughs> well, you're a massive fan of his, which is something I thought was really cool. And something I wanted to talk to you about because you are in this cross section of what was very rare when we were younger, people that like sports and like geeky things, because you talk about Spider-Man in this book, but you also talk about how much you love boxing and hockey and, basketball or the Raptors and all that. So I found that interesting. I always find it interesting when people are really into sports, but they're also kind of a geek because those things don't really run together as much. They do now more with an MCU and things becoming cool to be a nerd and all that. But yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I look around this place and that, that's where I'm like, man, my fucking nerd cred is shit. <laughs> like, well, we amped it up a bit, you know, shit. For the um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I like. Uh, I guess it wasn't really a question. Where's where's yeah. the passion for boxing? Is is more where I was leading with that? How did you fall in love with boxing? And and clearly the book showcases that it had a profound effect on some of your recovery as well. Well, I was always like a huge fan, and I always looked to it for like inspiration in my life. Um, obviously, really turned up when when, but I looked at all sports too for that too. But I do find boxing is like the number one most because just so. I mean, you're training like you're running a marathon, but at times during the marathon, you're going to sprint, which you don't do during a marathon, but then also like the punching and getting punched. (laughs) So it's like just from that physical standpoint is just, you know, oh my God, it's unbelievable. I I, I don't even get eloquent when I talk about boxing because it's just so, how the fuck do they do this as their job and all the time? And by the end of your career, you're like, 30 to 70 fights you you went through 30 to 70 training camps which is like all encompassing like food is gotta it's so like lonely to do and it's so um difficult to do i cannot help but see the parallels with comedy as you're saying yeah oh yeah too and then like nobody gets out alive in it like even successful people and it's oh there's a lot of parallels there And you don't get paid on the come up, and so few people like actually make any serious dollars off of it. Oh yeah, just brutal. Comedy is actually one reason why when they talk about CTE, like, well, we got to stop these players because they won't stop themselves. Like, because so many players, like, right? I know the risk of football. I don't give a fuck. I want to play. <clears throat> and people are like, no, we got to stop save these people from themselves. And I don't know, man. That argument doesn't hold a lot of water with me because I always think like you could say a lot of besides like the physical, obviously shit. You could say a lot of things about comedy that you could say about all these other. No one ends up fucking uh, out of the, without some kind of scars and and makes money. No yeah. one's happy. Blah blah. You could say that about comedy easily. Ninety five percent of people, even the successful people, don't. They all is miserable. Blah blah blah. All this shit. Maybe so I'm going to stop you from helmets. doing comedy. And it's like, no, you're not. I'm decided I want to do this. Like I wouldn't want anybody taking my agency away from me. So maybe a comedian should be wearing helmets in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I did want to say about this though, that I am not like a huge book reader, which makes me sound like a bit of a derp, but I, you know, I love graphic novels. I read on the internet and stuff like that, but it's not often that I pick up like a no pictures book which again they sound like a kindergartner but um very much so because that's a lot so of- funny you call it a non-graphic novel i yeah. usually don't read non-graphic novels that's a really good way to like <laughs> even further next book should be a non-graphic novel normalize comic books oh you're you're a non-graphic novel fan what's that <laughs> a book a book you but, you know, normally when I try to approach a book, it feels like a book report or something. Yeah. Right? It's like a chore. And this book, I was genuinely like excited every time I got to go pick it up again and find a time in my day to sit down and absorb a little more and, and just keep chipping away at it. Because it was really, you know, sucks you in. It's great. You're a great writer. And uh, I wanted to know if it was always your intention to break the fourth wall as much as you did and sort of you you talk about the literary narratives that you're using as you're using them stuff like that and i thought that was really cool Tum- jumping through time a lot and yeah i do it a lot in stand up and uh i guess to a degree like not like there's a fourth wall in life but like i editorialize a lot of what i'm thinking while i'm saying something it was very direct to the reader a lot of the book yeah yeah so i i felt like and it was just and, it, and very early on like it's just such a good avenue for jokes too right so yeah. I was just like, it's so easy to break the fourth wall. Then just like, here's a joke. Cause I broke the fourth wall. Now I don't need a setup. I can just tell you this joke. And you break the tension a lot of the time too, with those moments, which is kind of nice. Right. Yeah. And, get heavy in this book. Yeah. And then I also wanted uh, to be funny. Right. So I was like, Fair. I mean, 
Like anytime something was like super, I was like sad or dark. I was like, you need lots of laughs in the pages before this or after this. Cause like this can't, I don't want this to be like, wow, the last 20 pages have been fucking emotionally taxing. Yeah. I can't do it. I got to put this down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing I loved about it was your uh, recurring joke about like the things you almost named the book. There's one right at the beginning, one right near the end, but I want to say there's like seven or eight of them in the book. I maybe. don't know. Yeah, I don't was know how many, time? but like that was another one where it was like the first one I felt like, I was like, okay, that's all right. And then the second one, and I was like, okay, well now I have to make this like uh, uh, a through line throughout the book where it's like, it's, it's easy. A, it was a great choice. I loved it. Every time another one came up, I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no, I, I felt like, I was like, yeah, again, it was just like, oh, this feels like an easy avenue for jokes. And then there was, I would just be like placeholder title later and come back and then do the punch up on it. Nice. Okay. Well, cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear the behind the scenes stuff on that a bit, man. Um, I wanted to know uh, what got you to start doing the podcast again, because I know you took like a, almost exactly to the day, a two year break. Was it when you made some relapses for some of the things that kind of mo wanted to motivate you to get behind the mic again? Or Yeah, like I always planned to like, I mean, at first I was like, this is going to be one year and I'm, I'm done with it. I don't want to do like a this, this podcast recurring all the time. And then towards the end, I was like, no, nah, I do. This has been like really good for my mental health too. And, and, and obviously the response and everything else, like there's a variety of reasons to continue doing it on a regular basis. And then I was like, Oh, uh, but I got fringe coming up and I can't do it during fringe and started making some excuses and then started writing the, the book in earnest, like the one from the book deal and was yeah. like, Oh shit, I can't do both of these at the same time. And then when I finished the first draft of the book, I was like, okay, well now I can start doing the podcast again. That was my end goal of when I will bring the podcast back. And then now I've honestly stopped doing it again because I just, there's a lot of reasons that I'm not doing it currently. It takes and a lot of time. First of no, all. it's not even really that it's post primarily it's the second like season was going to be like, now I'm quitting like a lot of things that are like bad for the planet. And that's what I wanted the focus to be. And now I'm not sure if that's right for a few reasons. One of which is I was told by somebody who works at like a very important green organization that uh, we don't want to encourage people to start focusing on quitting individual things. We want to put pressure on the corporations and the government. And then that makes me think, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But aren't we putting the pressure on those organizations to then say to us, hey, you can't use or do these things anymore? Yeah. Like, we're, you want me to put pressure way, on yeah. them to make us do it? Where, and I do understand where, like, if yeah, people aren't going to fucking do it on their own. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. So I don't know. And it confuses me. Then also, just as far as like an artistic level of like, I don't know if something with like a double barreled scope makes any sense like that where it's like, so this podcast is about staying clean and sober while also being funny and also being fucking yeah. a tree hugger or whatever. And I'm like, that might be too big. Too broad. Yeah. And then, and I've really struggled with that. And next time I bring it back, I want it to stay back forever. And, uh, uh now, uh, now I could say like, oh, stand ups coming back. The pandemic was hard. So like I could make a variety of different, uh, excuses so i'm trying to figure it out right now like i really let things boil for a long time and i'm like yeah like it will come back i just really now have to decide like also too if it is just addiction focused 
<clears throat> will I continue quitting things just to see what it's like? I'm like, that could be interesting if it doesn't have to go for a year and quit weirder and weirder things. But then also too, I'm like, well, I have to start interviewing people that are not just comedians. Yeah. And then it's like, that's very hard because they have to be a fucking addict to quit something. Well, this is the pros and the cons of having like a niche podcast, you mm. know, because for me, I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. This show is all about having every week. It's a different rant. Sometimes I have teachers, therapists, a lot of comedians as well, but like it's kind of all over the place. But that's possibly also why it's taking longer to get traction because I'll have some people come by and watch one episode and be like, oh, yeah, we love Spenny. But then they won't watch any of my other episodes you know so stuff like that it's you know i i think if you go too broad then there's there's a detriment to that as well so it's you pick your lane i guess mm -hmm. yeah well, i mean and spenny has his own like you know uh fan base and, and draws like that's yeah well that helps for yeah. sure yeah but i mean having a niche is a great way to get an audience you know where you're like these people came for this very specific topic but it limits you in the ways that you were just talking about now where you're kind of like oh well do, am I getting too broad here now? You know, you've already created that niche. You kind of got to stick to it. So, mm -hmm. but not really. You can do whatever the fuck you want. You could just start a new podcast with a new kind of, you know, completely different. Then you lose the notoriety of the name you've got going with your current one, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking it over. I, I, uh, I'll figure it out. Whatever I, you decide to do, I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah, I might not bring it back too. I don't know. I really like it's. Uh... I should even think about it more. Like right now, I'm like, I can't even really say I'm letting it boil the way I should. I'm like, well, I mean, you're going to put some water in the pot Make first, then, buddy. Yeah, no. Um, shit, man. We, we got to wrap it up soon. But I, I did want to talk to you about um, how you did a Q&A for aspiring comics here in Ottawa. And I read that, and then I thought, I fucking remember seeing this on Facebook and debating going to it. And I couldn't make it out for whatever reason. I had to work or something. But I just thought that was a really rad thing to do for people who had already done just for laughs and, and you know, experienced comics to try and give a little bit of that Yoda wisdom to some of the up and comers. Honestly, it wasn't about that at all. And if I'm being like completely forthright, I think those like Q and A's are like, it's not much you're going to hear here that you couldn't, if you just like came out to a show, actually that's not true because I fucking hate when people do that. So well, you said there was only like seven people who came, so it, was, it must have been intimate in that respect. Yeah, but we were mostly. I I shouldn't have said like I don't think you could gain anything from it. I think you actually can, and you should be asking for advice. And that is a good forum because then it's like you're not. We agreed to do it. This is what it was, and you're not like after a show like hey I'm trying to sell my merch or whatever the fuck yeah. like I can't answer all your open mic questions. But the main reason we did it was to like, cause like, well, the reason to, to get in was you have to bring like a donation to food drive. Yeah. It was yeah. like food, clothing or like, cause it was like their Christmas drive. So it was everything food, clothing. And, um, that's why we were like, well, this will be like a, you know, a good double-edged sword where it's like, okay, we'll, we'll answer some questions like some really basic ones that are like easy to answer. And then some more like, okay, that's a complicated question for comedy and shit like that but just give these people form and then mostly like yeah and then we'll have like a shit ton we had like an entire like huge ass like truckload to bring them and like that was like super cool and then uh yeah, yeah great, it, great initiative. it just felt so easy like and it was just so easy like that's why i was, it was just a good idea i was like oh this is fucking i comedians do that shit all the time oh come out it's a q a and it would always just for me upset me when they were like charging and i was like this is fucked like Hey guys, let me take money off you to tell you how hard it is to make money at this. Like, well, yeah, that's yeah. not, if you're doing this to like fucking, but then I was like, well, yeah, they should have some skin in the game and there's gotta be like a good way to transfer that. And I was like, yeah, okay. This is super easy. Cause Hey, bring some cans from your house 
on a shitty old TV you're not going to use anyways anymore. Some old clothes you're not going to wear anyways, and you get to do all this. Like, this is win-win. It's easy yeah. for them to do. Uh, we fucking sit there for like an hour and answer some comedy questions, and then, you know, a bunch of people in need get like a, a bunch of shit once I go through it and really pick out the good stuff. Man, that's awesome. Uh, well, I'm glad you guys did it. Like I said, that's a Dad, really cool Dad, did you get initiative. that joke? I thought that was a good joke, but I think I went sailing oh, over, over, my head, over OG's head. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I just said I like steal the best stuff from the donation. but it's Oh, okay. shit. I didn't even hear that. It's okay. Bad. It's okay. I slid it in. It was his pro move, but yeah, then I couldn't let it just low key. There. I'm getting sleepy. Yeah, there we go. Okay, I'm almost done here anyways. I got uh, two more questions. The first one is I noticed uh, how much of a dog lover you are. We were talking about that. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the five people you had to mention at the end was that that Bob. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's why I wanted to ask, why do you think your dogs had such a profound uh, impact on you? Because everyone loves dogs, you know, but I love my dog, but I don't know that I would thank them in my book. So it's next level shit, you know? I don't know. I guess I'm just that white. (laughs) (laughs) And it must be like a thing in my family. Like, oh, yeah, like every every one of my aunts and uncles, everyone has a fucking dog on both sides of my family. Oh, wow. So my grandma had a dog growing up. Her uh, oldest uh, son did like it, it's it's everyone. I, I'm not gonna go through the whole list. I have no. like so many. It's but you're it's, a dog family. It's like fucking like twenty dogs in the. It's nuts. It's unbelievable and completely ironically. Before it was all like meme stuff or anything. Like no, everybody talks about them like they're their kids. They how's this dog doing? How's this dog doing? Yeah. And like the answers are so deep. They're not just like oh, is this you know I think he's actually been bothered by the weather, but like in his heart. And I, I gotta figure out. Does he have like seasonal affective disorder? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. I think it's innate. Like I don't really like that's. It's just it's like yeah. It's gotta be like this primal. Like oh yeah, my family for sure didn't leave cave. We were like the last people to leave caves when and then and then they were like, oh these dogs make me feel safe. Let's not that. eat these ones. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were gonna say something maybe along the lines of uh, at some of your worst moments, the dog wasn't judging you. You know, you hear stuff like that that an animal still loves you even when you're at your worst. Yeah, I could see that, but I, I mean, at the same time, I mean, they pick up on your emotions. So I don't know. It's like they they're empathetic. Yeah. Well, they pick up, but then sometimes you make them sad. You're like, I'm, I would I've recognized that with my current dog Otis and my old dog Bob. I'm like, I'm bumming you out. I gotta fuck it and stuff. Yeah, they fuck. get your vibes <laughs> yeah. totally. Oh, man. That's one thing I didn't want to forget. There was a quote I wanted to say that I thought, maybe you've heard it before, but I thought it was really cool in, in regards to addiction, which is uh, rock po- rock bottom is a great place to start building. That was a cool quote. I don't know. Poetic. Quote. I didn't say that. No, no, it's not your oh, quote. Oh, thank God. Saying, I was like, what the fuck? A cool quote that I thought you might <laughs> No, enjoy. that is good. I, yeah. I've, I've heard that one before, too. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. At the sorry, beginning. sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. I, to credit that I got so scared. I was like, did I steal that and claim it's mine <laughs> in the book? Fuck. Yeah, it's a tweet when you were on a binge, man. Yeah. No. Uh, okay, well, last question. We have a new question for season three. We always have one question that we ask every guest for the season. Uh, and this one is going to be, if you aren't, weren't doing what you do for a living, what would your dream job be? I feel like it might be boxer. So maybe give me another one, but yeah, I mean, I list a bunch of dream jobs in exactly. there. So like, it's a weird one to have for it's you. It's going to be an athlete for sure. Okay. It's like NHL goalie <laughs> starting point guard for the Raptors. It's going to be, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That. 
Okay, well, what about dream, dreams you think you could actually attain? Because I know in your book you describe... But then it's not a dream job. I hate when fucking people do this all the time. I see this on social media a lot, and it drives me fucking nuts when someone's like, just uh, became a real estate agent. My dreams have come true. I was like, what kind of fucking shitty kid were you? That you were like, one day if I reach hard enough for the stars, and real estate agent's a great job. You make more money than me, so I'm allowed to say this. Fuck you. Yeah. But it's like... No, dream, like Dream's crazy to say. This is three years ago you started at fucking Algonquin College. College, and now you're managing uh, a hotel. You, you didn't dream of managing a hotel. You started hospitality and tourism, and you're like, I wonder if I'm going to be able to get a job in this you industry. In three yeah, days. Yeah. Oh, fuck off. That's crazy talk. So if they have to be, but an attainable one, like, okay, in, to walk it in the middle, I am a very good long distance runner, like okay. exceptionally good. Nice. So like, okay, like I'm not saying I could be, but in a dream world, yeah, like, okay, okay. like Olympic, like you long distance runner. you all your runner. efforts towards that. No, even then, probably not, but like I run like <laughs> exceptional times, so like I probably could have been like university uh, scholarship good, oh, but not like fucking good. world class good, so then I don't know what you mean by dream job. This is what yeah. I'm talking about. Hey man, this is how we flesh out the It's a fucking dream job. My dream job would be beast from, <laughs> oh shit, shit oh no no it's magnets that scared the shit out of me i was like oh no i just ended the podcast you're saying oh shit because there was a nugget of weed there no that's hilarious that's um, very funny that's what i've been talking about the whole time i just outed him right here no when mike rita came over um and we smoked a lot of weed oh now he's now he's trying to pull the whole it's my friend it's not me (laughs) well i found it on the ground the next day and it was kind of just like the most mike rita thing ever to find like weed from the weed fairy the next day so i'm actually he forgot his grinder here as well so (laughs) i'm gonna print the photo that we took together and put that piece of weed, the papers that he signed, and his grinder that he forgot into some sort of display case or something and make a little, you know, another thing to hang up on the wall. Oh, that's cool. Speaking of which, yeah, if, I, I don't know if you got that. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I put up the book. No, rip, yeah, all, rip a little piece off the book or something. Book anyways, man, so. I saw yeah. it in like the preview, but didn't open it. No, but I don't have it. Uh, yes, I brought uh, this little <laughs> piece right here. Well, I'm going to try and catch your show tomorrow night, too. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. Business cards. Sometimes people just doodle something here. So it's. Uh, you know what? I have a bunch of old pictures of myself. I can actually. And I think they might still be in the car. Picks? I can actually give you one before I leave. Sure, yeah, I, I got a greasy the pic oh, for amazing. you. Okay, well, yo, dude, thank you so much for spending your time with me and sharing all these cool experiences. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, buddy. High fives? Yeah, let's go. Let's do one. Uh, Doubles is... (laughs) Doubles too much. All right. Bye, everybody.